Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. Why? Why what? Why would they handcuff you to me and then drag us all the way out into the jungle? Ben has a thing for mind games. Is that why he left you behind? Do we really have to talk? Nope. Colin, if the trail gets wet, I'll lose it. I hope you're not dragging me all the way back there with you for him. Excuse me? I hope you're not going back for Jack. Because I was standing right there when he told you not to come back. And now that you've ruined his chance to get off the island... is over but we have to go back down the hatches lost rewatch podcast here on push a recap hello everybody josh wiggler here talking season three episode 15 but not the episode known as 315 instead it's the episode left behind and gosh i believe it's actually 316 so i already screwed up the joke mike bloom that's fine uh, i think if anyone my 815s and my 316s crossed they're all numbers at the end of the day. Look, I think if anyone just listened to the intro clip of this episode, they would think we'd be talking about an installation of loss that is equal parts the Defiant Ones and Jurassic Park. So we mm-hmm. are here to promptly burst those bubbles and firmly, you know, soar over any types of number-based jokes we might have in the beginning here. Yeah, so I selected that clip for the introduction, and then listening back to it right now, I was like, oh, well, that's one of those moments that you really do need uh, the visual component for, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, out of context, there's like a whole midsection. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is this is Lost, I believe, first cat fight of uh, this series that sort of, sort of happens in the middle there, but this is a separate from the occasion where they fall in the mud. I realized, describing this on paper, realized that this is probably one of the most, like, lost fan fiction-y dream come true type of situations for a lot of viewers out there. But no, this is an episode of Lost. This is left behind. I think calling it a cat fight is a disservice to the significant beatdown that Kate Austin lays upon Juliet. Like, seven punches to the face, and then she uh, dislocates her shoulder. 
Right, it's like don't even broken have the survivor, glass. Yeah, it doesn't even have the survivor medical person. Dr. Ramona doesn't get to come in and, and take a look at it. Though, much like Stephanie LaGrosa, you know, Julia, it's all about popping it back in and keep going, securing the bag, as it were. Uh, I'm glad you bring up Survivor because this is the Survivor episode of Lost as well. This is uh, early convincing Sawyer, like, listen, I'm going out on a limb here. They're going to try and blindside you tonight. So do you have an idol? He's like, an idol? He's like, yeah, if you don't have an idol, you're you're screwed, dude. You're going to really have to up your social game. And so Sawyer is going to have to try and suck it up to a bunch of people on the beach to convince them not to vote him out. Except uh, in classic Survivor fashion, it's all a con. Mike, mm. uh, so this is, this is like a Survivor Austra- episode of Lost in a big way. I mean, way. It's, an, it's an Australian Survivor episode of Lost in that it's a non-elimination, right? No one gets <laughs> voted out. <laughs> They're like, no, no, there yeah. is no vote going on. Tonight we're doing something completely different. And they were coming from Australia, so I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm really excited to talk about that stuff specifically. The Kate and Juliet mm-hmm. stuff, like maybe a little take or leave for me. I know we get some, uh, some monster hijinks this week, so it'll be fun to talk about that. Uh, although I have a few questions about that yeah i guess uh left behind it's fine this is fine uh yeah i mean it's I fine think- there's no you know it's totally it's fine there's some things in it that are like huh what yeah wait what are me, they doing here for me it's less so like fine by everything is fine and more so fine by like the law of averages where there are things that i really like and there are things that i really do not like and yeah. it sort of just ends up washing out to a, a neutral ph yeah, yeah. And I think like this is in, in this like section of season three that we've been in. I know that there's some questions about was expose a momentum killer? Maybe this one a little bit more so for me. Uh, cause we're yeah. kind of just like, we're doing this whole plot with Juliet has handcuffed herself to Kate to like become friends with Kate. Like I got a lot of questions about that whole <laughs> plan. It's not a great plan, I don't think. Yeah, well, it's, well we're, we are sort of transitioning into sort of the final part of the season over these next few episodes, you know, especially with the arrival of Naomi. But even in this episode, we get the progress forward with at least, like, we're moving out of Dharmaville temporarily. We don't find out exactly at the time what Locke is doing with the others, but it seems like the next part of, like, the Others versus 815 plot has moved forward in this episode, where these the 815ers are now left behind, and now this leaves Jack and the crew and a mole, moly, moly, mole, Juliet, the opportunity to sort of now gather their own troops to have the big brouhaha at the end of the season. So it's sort of moving the chains in that regard, uh, no pun intended considering the handcuffs of it all, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird episode in general and you know I, I feel like we keep saying that when it comes to kate episodes but it ends up becoming a pattern here because we also have another very interesting kate episode to talk about not even for like the kate past but really the kate future because this is a storyline crossover that is going to bear fruit once kate leaves the island as well yeah uh this is the one where we find out that maybe kate is the reason why sawyer went to jail uh, Maybe, even though <laughs> there was a little bit of reverse psychology, because I believe she sort of told Cassidy at the end, like, you don't need to do this. Uh, you know, I don't you don't want to piss him off. But then yeah, maybe Cassidy took the wrong message. It does feel like she incepted Cassidy to a certain degree. I think that you could give Kate partial credit for for getting uh, Sawyer thrown into the slammer. I also do think it is worth keeping in mind that we are an episode away from uh, learning that Juliet is a mole. As mm-hmm. Locke says later on, which is uh, Juliet is a mole, one of my favorite lines. Uh, and so everything that we are seeing with Juliet in this episode is all part of her, like establishing cover. So I got questions. I got questions. We'll get into it. We got we'll get into lots it of questions. Lots of questions. Uh, before we move 
forward, Mike, I want to take a quick second to thank our friends over at Pluto TV for sponsoring this episode of Post Show Recap. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, speaking of, Mm -hmm. and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free. Oh, is Naomi's a drop-in, right? She's the one. She's using Pluto TV. All right, let's go forth into the jungle. It's left behind. Uh, it's a Damon Lindelof and Elizabeth Sarnoff co-jam. They're writing it together. It's a little uh, bit of that, uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of like taking two of the biggest writing pairs in Lost besides Kisses and Horowitz and now sort of, uh, you know, combining them into something new. We have Elizabeth Sarnoff and Christina and Kim have broken up temporarily and so have Lindelof and Carlton. And now they're sort of pairing off and working on something else here. And we've got the sixth ever flashback for Kate. And it's technically not the final Kate flashback. Because uh, in season five, when we have the, the Kate-centric episode, uh, whatever happened, happened, which I love. And I cannot wait until we get there. That is a flashback as well. Um, but this is, you know, one of the final flashbacks. She's going to have flash forwards, flash mm-hmm. sideways. Uh, but this is... You know, I think in terms of like Kate's on the run, this is the final Kate's on the run episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're I'm trying to, to think, we're uh, Mike, how long uh, we're going to go without seeing the Marshall again. That's a good question. Didn't yeah, we talk I, about this in, during I Do? This feels familiar. I forgot that Edward Mars made an appearance temporarily in this episode. He said, Curses foiled again. I mm-hmm. thought I'd get you, Kate Austin. I feel, I honestly feel like he might not appear until season six because, like you said, we're out of the Wayne timeline after this episode. This this episode, t- the flashbacks take place somewhere like right after what Kate dad and before, <laughs> uh, you know, the events of everything with um, with Born to Run when she comes back for Tom. So right. I I'm pr- I think we might be home free with Edward Mars until we get into the end when he shows up in the Sideways universe. You gonna miss him? Are you gonna I miss mean, Edward Mars? It was like he was a little bit of a nothing burger here in his what would be his final uh, canonized appearance. He just basically burst out and and got duped. I feel like he was much more appealing in the I Do. I kind of wish that I Do was his final canon appearance now because that spoke to a really weird quirk of their relationship. Again, I keep comparing it to uh, Hanrani and Frank Abagnale Jr. in uh in, in almost called catch it me as if you as can it, yeah i'll almost call it as good as it gets something about those weird phraseology <laughs> interesting <movie. laughs> yeah exactly uh leo's the big dog that uh, that tom hanks holds up but yeah it, that's sort it of like a pretty small dog but <laughs> leo's, leo's kind of a smaller guy uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's 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 uh an interesting dynamic that we really got nothing of in this episode so i think you know more so, it's less Mars appearing and more so the, the law and order Mars of it Pan. all. But yeah. it's, a, it's a weird sort of, uh, I guess, like postscript to the Edward Mars character here. You know why I think one of the reasons why this episode is just sort of like whatever for me. Uh, and, and I think like, here we go. You ready? Say what you will about Stranger in a Strange Land. Say what you will about it. further instructions even. But I think that like the the Jack and Locke flashbacks at least are on something of a trajectory. I think mm. that this is 
as we've like been trying to like kind of autopsy some of the reasons why like the Kate episodes especially make us feel like kind of like meh or like you know fine. Uh, some of them are are like pretty good, but otherwise they're like they they range to in like the average to lower than average range. Mm-hmm. I think it's like there's just not a lot of uh, there's not a huge through line to them. Um, like I feel like this is an episode that like like this is taking place before the flashback of I do right? right like this is like it's you're not like you're not able to connect like I do goes to here goes to wherever right you know like I think that there's just not really a lot of like stopping points that make a ton of cohesive narrative sense to me I think like this is like this is setting up the Cassidy relationship okay great this is setting up a few things here and there. Um, but I think by and large, like it's not really setting us up to, to pay off anything. Um, at least not in a, in a major way, as far as I can recall. I completely agree. I think chronology is a bit of a problem with the Kate flashbacks. Cause even look at the lock flashbacks, as much as we might impugn something like further instructions, it actually follows like a pretty cogent timeline where walkabout is obviously the latest point. But then we go back to Deus Ex Machina, and then pretty much from there, we just keep rolling forward through the rest of Locke's timeline to when he ends up paralyzed in the wheelchair. And, you know, and then, and then you know, in Cabin Fever, we're going to sort of dope through more and more of Locke's life, and so that screwed things up a little bit. But yeah, it doesn't necessarily help that you have, we start Kate's with Tabula Rasa when she ends up in Australia, and then we go back to whatever the case may be, but that's not like the starting point of her timeline. That really is what Kate did, which doesn't come until season two. So I think this is sort of a microcosm of how they're like, okay, we have a Kate episode, but we're not really entirely sure what to do. They like to leave open-ended questions for themselves to purposely answer later on, but by doing that, they go back further in time. That just confuses things a bit further. And maybe that's why the Marshal needs to show up here. He is sort of the constant of when he shows up. That's when you realize, okay, Kate's definitely on the run because the Marshal is here. And maybe that's sort of what we needed here to remind us, okay, this is before Born to Run. Diane Jansen is not hooked up to any breathing tubes. She is fine right now. But this is going to be when Diane Jansen essentially curses her daughter that the next time she sees her, she's going to scream. Yeah, so that's like coming up with a whole flashback episode to explain Jack's tattoos because they were mentioned once. Like, I feel like this is like, we need to give you the origin story for why Kate's mom screamed in the hospital. It's kind of like, did you? Did you really? But I don't know. I think like, you know, this is a show that has a lot of bits and pieces of the tapestry in a disorganized order. And that's part of the fun of the show is like mapping all of that out and coming up with the, uh, the chronology, right? Um, and I And I think... With certain characters who have like really all over the place chronology, like you're, you're interested in doing that. You're incentivized to do that if their stories are really compelling. And I don't, I don't know if, if it, if it says something about me or if it's more the way in which it's conveyed. I don't know. People will have different reactions to this, but for me, I feel like just the, the way in which Kate's backstory unfolds, the storytelling decisions that are made along the way, like the whatever the case may be flashback. Um, certain flashbacks here and there. It's just like, I guess I'm just not that invested because I just don't think that they're like totally compellingly told. And so like trying to like mm-hmm. string all of that together of like, where does this fall with Kate's mom being sick? Oh, this is before she's sick. Like it's, it's, it, it feels like maybe it's like a little more effort than it's worth employing for the quality mm-hmm. of the episodes. Well, I think something that also doesn't help, which is actually something I brought up in I do is I feel like more than, jack and Locke's flashbacks if we're comparing him to those characters specifically 
Kate's flashbacks love to use those one-time characters, yeah. right? That's why I spoke about how Kevin, how Nathan Fillion's character didn't work in I Do, is because we were supposed to care about this relationship when we've only seen the character once before. Uh, that sort of happens here a bit in that we've seen Cassidy prior. We've seen her in two Sawyer flashback episodes, but I don't know how much we were supposed to care about her relationship with Kate because Kate's character is inherently on the run. There are going to be so many of these episodes where she, like, crosses paths with someone, they have their interaction, and then they sort of, like, leave each other's lives. And that is less meaningful than, like, a Helen or a Sarah. You know, these characters that show up constantly through other people's lives. And that's why, again, I say why Edward Mars is so crucial to the Kate flashbacks is because no matter where she goes, he is going to be that person that's there for them. But I think maybe conducive to the nature of Kate's flashbacks are the fact that you're going to get your Ray Mullins. You're going to get your Jason the douchey uh, bank robber. You know, there's just going to be all these randos that walk in and out of Kate's life. And it causes us to just put less emotional investment maybe, into that yeah. as, as opposed to maybe these more recurring characters that we know we're going to see time and time again. Interesting. All right, let's talk about the episode. Let's go forth into the jungle. Go forth into the barracks, I suppose. Is they've really yeah. left Kate uh, pretty well and unattended. Uh, I mean, they, they uh, the Dharmaville Rumpus Room. Apparently, whoever uh, signed it out for the next few days, it has been booked up. I also want to say I've been noticing this. The previously on Lost, my God, if you took a drink of McCutcheon every time they showed that clip of Kate telling Saeed and Locke, I don't care what Jack said. They've got him, and we have to get him back. I owe him that. Like, you would be three sheets to the wind, Desmond style, if you watched, like, four or five of these episodes in a row. Because I could swear, Josh, we've seen that <laughs> clip at least half a dozen times before this episode. I always skip the previously on, so I'm going to have to uh, defer to you on that. But I believe you. Yeah, I mean, they, they like to show that a lot to be like, oh, this is the reminder of what Kate's crew is doing. I remember also watching the previously on at the time, showing Cassidy and being like, okay, why are why are they showing her? I mean, yeah. obviously, I didn't know what the connections would be, but yeah, the previously on they they really Game of Thrones style. I know that people called out Game of Thrones more recently for doing this, but they did it in Lost too. It's had such a extended Uncle Benjamin, yeah, yeah such an extended yeah. chronology. <laughs> or be barrist and sell me. You haven't right. been here in two seasons, uh, right. but they they like to sort of bring in characters that have not shown up in quite a while, so that when you do see them again, you're like, oh yeah, that person. Uh, all right, so Kate's like she's like trying to figure out some ways out of her handcuffs. It's like a pool stick option, maybe. There's yeah, a bunch she's gonna, of she's gonna she's taking tips from the Joker, I suppose. Or I guess yeah. the, I guess the Dark Knight's coming out a year after this episode airs. Yeah, we're gonna have tryouts. Uh, so she senses Juliet coming, and Juliet's walking in, and so Kate gets to the side, and she's got her pool stick up. Uh, but Juliet's midi chlorian count <laughs> is higher than Kate has taken into account. Juliet is able to sense that the that the pool stick is coming. She ducks. And then is able to like level Kate in one smooth move. Uh, she, it's very, she very impresses Kate. She just straight up slams her to the ground. And look, Kate is certainly going to get her revenge later as the intro clip showcases. But for now, Juliet is just showing herself as a stone cold badass to Kate. And let's also remember the last time that these two saw each other, Juliet urged Kate to leave. And now that Kate Never is returned. back, yeah, there there is some uh, some pent up feelings I would imagine from one party towards the other here. Uh, so Juliet's uh, sad. She's like, I was just bringing you a sandwich. Uh, why did you have to? Why did you have to take a swing at me? Uh, it's like a serious, like, come on, man. So she leaves and she throws out one last enjoy your sandwich uh, as she as she heads out, uh, which leads us to the flashback. 
which leads us to to Kate and what's this guy's name? Like Justin Johnny. Johnny. You Johnny. can tell because he owns a business called Johnny's. It's on the ah, side good. of the truck, and he's yeah. like, I couldn't tell if he was being Iowan hospitable. Or just like really creepy when he's like, I'll, uh, I'll give you a lift into town if you need it. Again, you, you can't tell with those uh, small town Midwestern genteelness as to whether or not he was pervin on Kate or not. But clearly, Kate has now taken also a new identity. Not too much about the backstory. Lucy. But she's, she's, yeah, she's Lucy and she has some explaining to do. She has some explaining to do. Uh, Lucy shows up and Lucy goes to the gas station and there's Cassidy, Kim Dickens back on the show. And you're like, ah, OK, well, this is cool. We're getting a little bit of crossover here, and that's fun. Yeah. I, you know, I think yeah, it's fun. This is, this is also like a few episodes after, uh, after the whole Christian Shepherd Claire stuff, right? So like, it's right. already in the DNA of the show to have this crossover. We're doing but this, it, yeah. But it, but it's also fun from this particular vein, considering that these are two women, one in the past and one in the future, who will have romantic connections with one James Ford. So that's a, a fun little like unintentional Eskimo sisters going on right now. I think it's also fun because like in the present too, Kate is having a storyline with somebody who's going to wind up with James Ford for many years, at least. Uh, so like, this is sort of like, and, and this being a very Sawyer forward episode, I do think that there's like a fun through line there. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, like, I would, I would, I'd be so forward as to call this like the sequel to the long con from a certain perspective, mm, because yeah. we, we have Cassie in the past and then, at least the B plot of this episode is going to be the sequel to the long con of now that Sawyer has admitted to his nefarious deeds in the past. Now he has to sort of own up to them. So Kate sees what Cassie's doing. Uh, Kate is a, Kate. Kate knows this this con, the 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 watch con. Yeah, jewels. but they don't have two two goofy ass boys at the gas station to do. This time, this guy's calling her a rip off artist. It's clear yeah, that the Cass- principal, right? Like I, I, that's what I refer to him. This guy's like clearly the principal of some school. Yeah. He's like, hey, listen. Uh, detention like you know he's trying to really uh read cassidy for filth and johnny's like oh uh what's going on over here and the guy's like she's a schemer she's a con and kate's like oh well if they're gonna call the cops i'm in i'm in serious trouble so i can't afford that this is worth sixty dollars sixty dollar investment for sure so she's like i'll take that one my dad works at a jewel he's a jeweler i know that this is these are legit jewels uh (laughs) and so she buys the jewels and then she's like hey give me my money back and cassidy's like okay fine uh, by the way, why'd you help me? And Kate's like, oh, I was just, you know, just watching your back. And Cassie's like, nah, that's not it. Mm. Yeah, it's that's not really, it. It's a really fun, like, tit for tat with these two where Kate is immediately on to what Cassidy is doing and Cassidy is immediately on to what Kate is doing, which, you know, I will say one of the interesting dynamics that comes out of this episode is the Cassidy and Kate one, which, again, they're like sort of more similar than you may realize despite being part of two different paths until this episode that. They're both like pretty level-headed when it comes to seeing through each other's BS. They're not on the level of the human lie detector, but mm. they're they're very much like looking across the aisle at each other, being like, "All right, this is somebody that I can hang with." They know when someone's lying. Yeah, so they're gonna go for drinks. We'll we'll check in on. Uh, they come with each other. They leave with each other in this episode. Uh, so we'll do the DJ Dom of it all in a little while. First, let's go back to the island, and uh, so it's a little sad goodbye from from one survivor to another. Let's take a listen. What? Kate. John, what are you doing? Did they capture you? Yes, but only temporarily. I came to say goodbye. Goodbye? I'm leaving with them. The 
hell is going on? I mean, what are they doing to you? Are you brainwashed? Where did Jack go? Jack didn't go anywhere, Kate. He's going to have to stay behind like you. You can't trust them. If they told you that they're going to take you home, they're lying. I don't they're... want to go home, Kate. I want you to know I made a strong case for you. I told them that you were a good person. Reliable, smart, honest. And then they told me who you were and what you had done. Let's just say forgiveness isn't one of their strong suits. Good luck. John, where are you going? Coming out. Where's Jack? Where is Saeed? Have you have you seen Rousseau? John, please, what's happened to you? I'm sorry, Kate. Thank you, Locke, for finally acknowledging the late Anna Lucia. Coming out. Yeah, coming exactly. out. Uh, but I, I think that the lock line in particular, because obviously this is again at the time we're like, what the hell is Locke doing? Why is his hand bandaged? Why does he seemingly have a black eye? Of course, we'll find out through the brig what exactly happened there. But when, I'm, I'm intrigued by the line that Locke says, like when the others found out what you did. Well, they're not exactly a forgiving type. Right. What What are they referring to there? Are they referring to like... She's a the, killer. She murdered yeah, Wayne. Say, is, is, it like, is it like the Tom slash Wayne stuff? Yeah, is it, it is. I think so. But, I what think if they, like, but what it, if they already know that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Locke didn't. And so Locke is saying like, hey, uh, if I'm coming with you, can we bring Kate? Kate's pretty cool. And they're like, yeah, no, she murdered her dad. And he's like, gotcha. Ooh. So it's less... I told them something and they found right. out what you did. Correct. It's more so, oh, they, they found out something in the past. And because it's more that, that Locke just found out. Locke just found out what Kate did. And I think, like, to John's credit, because I think there might be some people who are like, wow, Locke's a real dick in this moment, just like shaming Kate. Consider all, like, the, the crazy things that Locke has done since then. I actually don't think that there's a lot of judgment from Locke here. I think it's literally like, I made a big case for you, and then they told me what you did, and, like, they just don't forgive very easily. But I think, like, Locke is, like, also being, like, sympathetic towards, like, yeah, dads suck. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, oh, you killed your dad? Respect. (laughs) Yeah, respect. I get it. it. I get it. Like, I don't don't sense anything from Locke of him being, like, uh, screw you, dude. I can't believe you. Like, I don't think that there's any um, measure of, like, hypocrisy from Locke on on that end. I think it's literally, like, yeah, they don't want to take you because you killed your dad. Like, I would still take you, but they're not really the forgiving type. So what are you going to do? Uh, exactly. I do wonder, did he make a case for Saeed? Mm. He didn't even bother. He's like, no, Saeed's going to get me tripped up. I can't break exactly. Saeed. Exactly. Like, Saeed's too much of a threat. Like, no, uh, Saeed, uh, he has overdue library books. We can't take him. You have to leave him behind. He's not a good person either. Saeed's always been like a little bit of like a, a thorn in Locke's side. Like Locke always has right. known that Saeed's like a bit of a threat. He had to knock him out once upon a time. They had the whole thing back in the greater good. Uh, they've been sort of uh, butting heads a little bit here over these past few episodes. Whereas I think like Locke and Kate, like Locke uh, at the very least often sees Kate as like a willing participant in like the hijinks to a certain degree. Like they did the hatch ruse together, all of that. Uh, you know, he had the whole moment of like, she's a fugitive. And then he like slipped her the knife. Uh, so I, I think that like Locke would have really been down to like have Kate keep pushing on, but then they were like, you can't do it. It's like, all right, well, I'm, I'm still, I'm still coming with you. Uh, sorry, Kate. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it was not exactly a demand. It would just be, uh, an if like, oh, it would be nice 
if this happens. This is not, not a deal breaker. Yeah, it's not negotiating. To Lock's yeah, exactly. Like I think it's in like a, a a first draft, and they look over the demands. They're like, we can't do that one. It's like, all right, that's fine. You know, yeah, that's fine. I, Listen, I didn't. You know, not a deal breaker. We can keep. We can keep talking. Uh, so that's what's going on. Locke is going off. Uh, he's 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 off with the others now, uh, and it shuts the door on Kate. Meanwhile, back at the beach, uh, the beginning of a really fun storyline in this episode. Hell's wrong with you? Don't look at me. Pretend we're not talking. I'm not supposed to be here. Good, then scram. Dude, you need to know that there's been some chatter. After Paolo and Nikki and everything, well, tomorrow there's going to be a vote. Vote for what? Decide whether or not to banish you. Banish me? Where? Well, there was debate about that, but the consensus was half a mile down the beach. Consensus? I'm only saying this because there may be a way to fix it. To, like, make amends. I don't do amends. You might want to ask yourself about all the good stuff that comes from being a part of this society. I mean, you can't even feed yourself. You use our latrine, drink the water that Steve brings every morning to the trough. Uh, what? You know how for three days, ten hours, and fifteen minutes I ain't allowed to use nicknames? Yeah. Well, you, sir Hugo, are rotund, annoying... And you're ruining my damn view. How's that for a mess? You're making a big mistake, dude. Banish me. Deep Throat Hurley is so great. Where he like <laughs> Deep Throat stands Hurley. On the, oh my god. He stands yeah. on the shore, just like not like tr- not looking at Sawyer, so that the gawkers don't notice that mm-hmm. he's talking to him. He just happens to be standing there while passing off this word. When, of course, we know. This is not the. This is not an actual vote. This is Hurley trying to incept the idea into Sawyer's head to force him to do good. And you know, I've always said that some of the best twist endings in cinema or in TV are ones where, like, you are surprised at the time, but then you you go back and you see the breadcrumbs that were sort of laid down. It makes so much sense, and you realize, like, why didn't I get it sooner? And that really is the case with Hurley becoming the final guardian of the island. Yes, yes, yes. And, and so, like, we talked about this, obviously, in, like, Everybody Hates Hugo. We talked about this uh, during, even all the way back in Solitary with the golf tournament. And this is another thing where, like, Hurley doesn't think he's he's a person that's capable of becoming the leader. That's why he's sort of foisting this upon Sawyer. But he is showcasing how he knows what a good leader should be. And he also knows how to subtly manipulate people, even the best manipulator on the island, knows how to get under their skin in a certain regard to get them to do what he wants, but not, again, in a coercion method, more so in a, I'm going to convince you that this is what you need to do method. Yeah, it's great. I think that this is a, this is a fun episode if you're on the journey of how does Hurley become the protector of the island. I think this episode, which is, you know, ironically enough, in the in the Hurley and Sawyer category, about Hurley trying to convince Sawyer to, like, be a better dude so that he can lead these people because he's the only one here who can lead anyone, when in reality... Hurley is uh, is already leading these people, uh, and he just doesn't mm. know it, and he doesn't have anyone who's like really there to like parrot that back to him at this point. Um, but that's what's happening, and so like this is this is another uh, storyline that's kind of like 
um, planting planting the seeds towards Hurley's eventual ascension as king of the island. Uh, I, th- I think it's I think it's really fun to read in that regard. Like it's very fun as like uh, this is also an episode that's making Sawyer into a better person. I do yeah. think that this is an important episode for the Sawyer comeback story um, because I think through episodes like the ones that we've seen over the past couple of weeks, uh, as well as this one specifically. Yeah, like Jack and Saeed and everybody, they're coming back in like a minute. They'll be back next week. So Sawyer becoming the leader of the group isn't really something that needs to happen. But I think Sawyer having this make nice nice uh, episode um, is important for him to like be the guy who's very caring towards Claire during season four that mm-hmm. like will pull a gun on John Locke to get him to not bring uh, Hurley with him towards the cabin um, is going to be uh, the guy who's going to jump out of the helicopter to save his friends. Um, so I think this, this episode helps push him towards that path. I think that uh, this, this episode works both for uh, pushing the Hurley into a leadership position storyline, as well as making Sawyer a little bit more uh, a person of the people as it were. Yeah. Well, I think it also mirrors what's going to happen in season five, where I would argue, even though, like you said, Sawyer really isn't going to become the leader this season, Hurley is essentially teaching him what it takes to become a leader. So then in season five, when I wouldn't say the same situation happens, but like now Sawyer is missing a Jack, a Kate, a Locke, a Ben, a Hurley. Now he really is in this position where sort of by right. default, he becomes the leader now. And he's great at it. He's great yeah, at and, it. And I, I do think this is an important sort of step to him becoming LaFleur. For him to sort of realize, like, okay, so if, if I am in charge of a ragtag group of people, this is how I need to treat totally. things. And, yeah. and he sort of skews less towards the everyman for himself and more towards the, the live together dialogue. And that's the other thing, too, is I think this is like a core change in philosophy for someone like Sawyer, to your point, where essentially now he's learning, as we're going to get into the, with the fishing, of like, oh, yeah, every man for himself doesn't work when you're like a leech on society and mm-hmm. you realize that everyone's benefiting from the fact that people are specialized in different activities. And so he's right. very much learning, oh, I really am not as independent as I make myself out to be. Not not really. Um, so back at the barracks, Kate's on the ground. She's like, I don't want to get up. And well, she's she does, she does uh, eat a nice mold. I don't, I don't know if it's a moldy sandwich. I don't know how much time has passed since Julia No, it doesn't seem sandwich. like a lot of time, but it's like probably a little stale the sandwich is on the ground. It was like a ham steak sandwich. Rum ham? Maybe. Oh, perhaps. I don't know. Perhaps we'll see uh, when, the, when, they're, when they're adrift at the end of season four. Uh, maybe <laughs> a rum ham comes by. Yeah. Uh, but she's just like going to eat a little. She's like, I'll just eat some of the bread. Uh, she's like chewing on some bread. And then um, she is distracted by the fact that there are many people outside her window putting on gas masks and backpacks mm-hmm. and they're starting to gas mask and backpack their way out of town. She's like, what's going on? And then a gas, a can of gas gets launched into the barrack that she's in. And she's like, "Uh Oh, this isn't good. And she's panicking. She's trying to figure out like, what's the move here? How do I get at it? There are no moves. She passes out. She, she, and it's a pretty, uh, you know, eventually Lily really sells you on like, Oh, this seems, uh, this seems pretty unpleasant. Like the way that she yeah. passes out feels like, She's almost like doing like some some death acting here. Yeah, I mean, she is banging on the window for all she knows that she's dying right now. Right. So she's like banging on the window trying to get out. And that has to be rough as well. We obviously don't see at all this episode, the Saeed and Jack side of things. Hopefully they were not as, I don't know, uh, encumbered as Kate was. Hopefully it was just more of like a one and done thing that Kate's slowly gasping for air in the Dharmaville rumpus room, reaching for the mousetrap game next to her to try to break the window. Uh, in a flashback, uh, Lucy and Cassidy are, are, are getting drinks. Lucy, that's right. 
Uh, she's like, so what's your name? Lucy? She's like, don't think about it. That's clearly not your name. Uh, she's St. Lucy. I don't know anything about St. Lucy. I, I looked up a little bit of, of St. Lucy here. Yeah. Uh, and so St. Lucy. Lucy Yeah, so St. Lucy's story is actually, it's a, about a woman who prayed to God or like was so devout to God that God would, came to her in a dream and said, okay, your mother has this disease. She will be cured of this disease. And she was. And in exchange, Lucy gave away all of her riches to the poor. She essentially received a dowry for, for marrying a guy and said, I'm going to give this all away. That got her in a lot of trouble. Apparently, they're conflicting stories, but either like she gouged her own eyes out or they gouged her eyes out for her as part of her punishment. Uh, but the story, it's, it's sort of links to Kate, right? There, there are issues with a mother who is sick, and there's this idea of sort of being a benefactor and, and giving things away. But, you know, also conveniently, the Feast of St. Lucy falls on December 13th, which if you track the timeline of Lost, is the day that this episode takes place on the island. Mm, how about that? How about that? Yeah, only 12 shopping days until Christmas. Uh-huh, that's right. Uh, so so Cassidy's like, all right, Lucy, if that is your real name. So what are you doing here? Why? Do you, what's what's going on? What's all of this? And she's like, all right, so let me tell you the deal. Uh, I wish that you'd been around in season one because I could we could have gotten a lot of this awkwardness out of the way. So I killed my dad. Uh, so she just like kind of gives her the whole rundown. He's a bad guy, did it. Uh, and I'm here to talk to my mom about it. And Cassie's like, cool, how can I help? And Kate's like, excuse me? And she's like, yeah, you know, so like I gave my life savings to some douche who conned me, he embarrassed me, he's a bad guy. Uh, and I'm really, you know, suffering through that right now. Uh, so I'll help you out. I'll help you get in touch with your mom. One of us deserves something good. And at this moment, like, and every time I watch this episode, I'm just like, Cassie, you're incredible. Yeah. What an incredible thing to do. Cassie, like, I'll help you out. Cassie just, like, reads Kate. is like, yeah, you seem pretty cool. Uh, and you seem like you're hurting. And I'm hurting, too. And I'm going to transform that pain into uplifting a friend in need. And it's right. just, uh, it's really amazing. Really amazing. I, I mean, look, uh, could she have, I don't know, helped old ladies across the street? Uh, maybe more in the mirror. Maybe she did. Than, maybe we didn't see that. Yeah, we don't may, know. Maybe this is now, like, a spinoff of Cassie now trying to do, like, 100 good deeds. My name is Earl Style. She has uh -huh. a list of good deeds that <laughs> you she love. Wants my to name do. is Earl. <laughs> Listen, I gotta draw the reference to it. I know. Uh, um, so, but yeah, I think she's an extraordinarily good person for not even blinking her eyes. Kate yeah. tells this like pretty horror filled story. Cass is like, "Great, I'm gonna help you out," and she she says because one of us deserves something good. So I do think there's a bit of projection here as well. I right? like this it. idea of like it'll it it's altruism. I'll be good. I'll feel good for doing something good, no matter what the circumstances are. So yeah, Cassidy is like a fantastic wing person this episode. St. Cassidy. St. Cassidy. Seriously. Uh, big fan. Uh, back on the island, Kate wakes up in the jungle, handcuffed to Juliet, who I would assume is just taking a nap. Uh, but we'll, we'll put a pin <sighs> yeah, in that. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put a, we'll put a, a hairpin in that. that put a hairpin in that for, for the moment. Uh, back at the beach, Sawyer has put like this relatively impressive fishing pole together. It's gigantic. Uh, it's a humongous fishing pole that he has created. Uh, he's going to he's going to cast a line. Uh, the Quans are further up the beach. Sawyer nods at them. This is a this is one of the the great lost gifts that's available on Twitter. Is Josh Holloway just like smiling and nodding? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the other the other piece of it isn't played back as often, which is Jin uh, not really paying much attention, but Sun kind of like shooting daggers at him. Oh, uh, Sun! This is a great Sun episode because now we see like. Sun did not get out all of her aggression post-slap with Sawyer. She's very clearly holding some resentment, understandably so. And yeah. so Sawyer's just giving that nicely. And, you know, Jin, this is Jinbo, right? Jin smiling at Sawyer, and Sun's just like, hell no. 
Yeah, and no, Sir thank just you. Muses, guess I'm not getting the guess getting getting the Korean vote. Yeah, that's what he says. Uh, meanwhile, uh, it's like his fishing pole has a mind of its own, uh, as like someone is like dragging the line off camera. What, uh, what if it was a Dharma shark? It looks, you know, it's very funny to look at. It's it's like very clear prop well, work. And Josh Holloway also lets out like he lets out like a little a little yelp initially before he it's really cute. starts like grabbing the line. It's it's very fun. It's and absurd. Jo- it's absurd. But Josh, like it works. Here comes here comes an experience that you and I have went through before. Uh, gutting and cleaning a fish. Yeah. Uh, so back in the day when Mike and I went to Fiji that one time together, we we were on a fishing expedition. We've talked about this before, mm-hmm. uh, and we had to clean out uh, a fish. And Mike, you you had the opposite reaction to Sawyer here, where he's like, "Ew, gross, gunk everywhere." Uh, I imagine Mike Bloom, you were looking back at this, you're like, "Mmm, food." Oh, I was like, "Ooh, yummy, yummy Tasty fish treat. guts." Ooh, this Tasty is so treat. good. Hurley, I ate the fish guts. Look at yeah, me. M- Mike loves the fish guts. Uh, Listen, Sawyer does uh, not. J- whatever Jin Quan will eat, I will eat as well. Sawyer doesn't want anything to do with it. He's grossed out, and this is enough to get him to realize, like, "All right." I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta get back in with the majority. I can't go home pre-merge. Uh, so he's gonna go and he's gonna hook up with Hurley and he's gonna, he's gonna let him know he wants back in. All right, let's do it. Do what? I'm ready to do it. Make amends. Change the boats. I don't want to be banished. Okay. You happy? Dude, you stink. What is that, fish? No. Did you try to gut one yourself? How have you not learned that by now? I mean, we've been here like three months. Can we just do this? Do what? Make nice. Apologize for calling you all those names. Oh. I'm really sorry I called you rotund. Really? Fuck. You're worse than a girl. Come on. Let's spread the love. This is such a reversal from all of the Hurley Sawyer scenes from season two, right? Mm-hmm. Between the tree frog or even in yes. Dave when I was Sawyer thinking of the tree frog like, again, yeah. Yeah, where they just keep digging in. Like, Hurley very much has the power here. Like, even when Hurley had the power in season two, Sawyer was not supplicating himself. He was still, like, sassy and snippy in a way. And this is Sawyer, even though he does sort of music, oh, you're worse than a girl at the end. He is genuinely at his most vulnerable right now, talking to Hurley. And so I, I really do like, because, you know, we definitely beat that drum in season two about how we did not like those Hurley-Sawyer scenes and how repetitive they were. I, I was happy to see it now sort of come not full circle, I guess, sort of do a 180 in the dynamic in this episode. Well, this is, you know, Sawyer's going to call Hurley Hugo from time to time in the future. There's going to be a bunch of moments where he calls him, like he gives him the respect of calling him by his first name. And I know he's not allowed to use nicknames right now. Um, but I think like this, this makes me feel like this is sort of uh, a turning point in the friendship for, for the two of these characters. So I love that, of course. Yeah, and I, I can imagine sort of like what happened with Every Man for Himself, the episode, that maybe when Sawyer finds out that Hurley tricked him, he's like, respect. Respect. You know, like you con the con man. I got, I got to respect that. You're, this is you're, a lame you're more con, than you look like Hurley. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So deeper in the jungle, uh, it's Kate and Juliet. They're handcuffed to each other. And so is Juliet just like, I'm asleep. This is like, don't, don't take my knife. I'm asleep. I, I have no idea what you're doing. It's a joke. 
Yeah, so because I can imagine Julia didn't gas herself, right? So she just like handcuffed herself to Kate and laid down beside. She her, handcuffed like, oh, her. I'm she out. handcuffed herself to Kate. She. I, so I assume she dragged Kate out into the jungle, handcuffed herself to Kate, and then laid down next to her. And is like I'm gonna sleep until Kate wakes up. Right. Take like, a little bit of a. It's cat a lot now. of steps. This is a lot of steps. Like so, we know Juliet. We know Juliet's a mole. We know that Juliet's working for. Ben. We know that Juliet currently at least is working for Ben and is like getting the you know the 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 stage set for the others coming to the camp. Um wh- why does she need to do any of this? Why does any of this need to go on? I think none of this needs to happen. Uh this whole like Juliet is like trying to like convince Kate that like we could be friends by like being in this situation where we're literally our our fates are attached to each other. Uh, this is going to be great for us. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make it after all. Like it doesn't it doesn't make sense, and it is uh, up to this point a rare moment that I think that the show is like really whiffing with Juliet. Like this is just like this is overthinking it by a lot. I mean, I'm gonna go so far, Josh, as to say I hate this storyline this it's is pretty dumb it's not good it's not this good. is one of those things that it's i like series even, bible stuff that like never made it onto the show but actually exactly. did make it onto the show i i remember watching at the time even at the time and being like what are you doing lost yeah. this this is by far the tropiest that lost got like do we re- like were they watching three's company before this or like oh that's a fun plot let's bring this in here because i agree like you know, I could see a way for Juliet to want to warm her way into Kate's heart because Kate might be one of the more skeptical ones and maybe she's distrustful in Juliet because of the whole Jack thing. But how weirdly convoluted the plan gets. And even though Juliet says later, like, Ben has a pension for mind games, I don't think even Ben Linus would do something like this. It just no. seems like very complicated at the outset. I like to imagine like Juliet, like talking to Ben and being like, all right, well, so let me just add another plan. Just hear me out. This is what I'm thinking. Like, I think like you guys, when you gas everyone as you want to do, I don't gas me. I'll have the mask. I'll throw the mask off. I'll Mm -hmm. grab Kate. I'll bring Kate into the jungle. I'll handcuff myself to Kate. Kate will wake up and then see like, Oh, Julia, she's sleepy and we're, we're handcuffed. And then she'll trust me. Uh, What do you think about that? And Ben's like, I think that's pretty stupid, actually. You know, I just don't think that, like, there's anyone who approves this plan. This is, like, Juliet going freelance. Uh, and, like, when she goes freelance on this stuff, like, it, it's not... And I can't even say that. I was going to say, like, when she freelances on this type of stuff, it doesn't work out. But, like, she was pretty cold and cunning back in, uh, you know, the initial Hydra Island arc. Yeah, I was going to say... The, I mean, the whole she TV was, she stuff, was, the Love Actually. Exactly. She was great with the cue cards. Like, she's been good. I don't know... I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, a really big misjudgment of Kate. I mean... Granted, no, it's, it's just tough bad to say writing, that it's, tough to say it's it not a misjudgment, though, because at the end of the day, Kate's like, yeah, I guess she's fine. But I don't know. I mean, she's going to give up the goat part of the way through this, which we'll we'll get to later with the whole key stuff. It just seems, from, me, from my perspective, it seems too OTT for me. To your point, I just don't see a character like Juliet or even a character like Ben coming up with something that you would see up. on like on like a Nickelodeon teen show where they take uh. where they take literally something from the TV tropes page for the show and say like yeah let's let's do something here it just feels i don't know it, it feels removed Not from some favorite. of the i mean when when the show itself is about like taking tropes that we know up to this point in television and flipping them on its head the fact that they didn't really do that just it, it has always stuck out to me like a source it's not my favorite it's not my favorite i think this is it was one of my least favorite storylines uh so kate and juliet uh kate finds the knife she 
pops the knife. And as soon as she pops the knife, Juliet's like, I'm awake. I'm awake. Because it's like, I'm not going to let you yeah. kill me. <laughs> exactly. Now, now, listen, say what you want to about Ben Linus. He would have committed to the bit. He would have let someone stab him and carve him open. If it meant him being like, no, I was gassed. You don't understand. Until you started carving me, I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, Ben would be like, oh, I've been stabbed. I guess it's Thursday. Uh, whereas, <laughs> you know, Juliet just wakes up. She's like, oh, I don't know what was going on. I was making tea. And then, uh, and Kate's like gloating. She's like, ooh, what did you do to piss them off? Uh, so Juliet's like feigning concern. I've got no idea what's going on. And Kate's like, well, ha ha. Welcome to the club. Yeah, but she says, welcome to the wonderful drinks world on of me. not knowing what the hell's going on, which yeah. is a stupid line. D-O-M, drinks on me. So, so stupid. <laughs> it's not great. Line. It's not great. Um, all right, flashback time. Speaking of not great. Um, so it appears that Kate, with her hat, is going to this motel. And then the marshal and law and order burst out. And they draw guns down on this woman, but it's not Kate, it's Cassidy. And it's Cassidy in the worst wig that I have seen on Lost so far, by far. Uh, she looks absolutely patently ridiculous. Uh, she just, it looks, it's like, it's like she like took it from like the Halloween store and just put it on. Uh, it's like, and yeah. so we come to find out that Cassidy ends up being questioned by the marshal in Law and Order for a half hour. And not once in that time, Mike, do they say, like, why are you wearing a wig? She takes the wig off. There's six people that took down <laughs> Cassidy here. And not a single one of them was like, so what's up with the wig? Not a single one. It's just, I know it's early, uh, but I just need to let you know that I will be taking a point from the marshal and a point from Law and Order in the LVP categories because it's absolutely ridiculous that they could not, like identify like this is clearly not kate austin and also why are you wearing this wig as part of their 30 minute interrogation doesn't come up once yeah or i wonder maybe did she like could she plead can you plead the fifth with a wig can you say like i invoke the right to not have to take off my wig even if you ask me i guess i guess like there there's the counter argument and i don't think that these two arguments are mutually exclusive that while this is like a demerit from the marshal and law and order, that this is also like a, a tick in the positive column for Cassidy, who really sells the wig. She's like, yeah, it's my wig. It's my comfort wig. I leave my house with it. It makes me happy. Why are you judging me for it? Uh, the fact that Cassidy is able to withstand a 30-minute interrogation and not get called out on the wig once, maybe she exudes some sort of confidence with her, like, I don't think I want to ask her about the wig. Uh, so I feel like as much as like the wig looks ridiculous, I don't think that's a demerit for Cassidy because she clearly gets away with it. Uh, so I think that if anything, like this whole exercise here just makes me all the more impressed with Cassidy, who's already yeah. having a great episode. Yeah. Also, uh, I, I am glad that the suitcase did not turn out to be a suitcase proper, that it was a Bible case. Because, yeah, I was like, Kate's suitcase is certainly a, a choice there. But no, Cassidy has the whole guys going on as a Bible saleswoman uh, who happens to have a rat's nest of a hair that is comparable to her daughter's. And now Kate is slowly but surely revealing more portions of herself to Cassidy. And here in the motel, in Kate's motel, I suppose, mm. is, when, is when Kate decides to finally reveal what she did in particular. Yeah, so I, I you know, it's, well, she's already said, like, so I, I killed my dad, uh, that all went down, but look, I blew him up, made it look like an accident, took out an insurance policy on the house, I set my mom up for, for life, and my mom narked me out. Mm -hmm. uh, and I need to know why. I need to find out why. And Cassie's like, okay, good enough for me. All right, let's keep digging in. 
So yeah. Cassidy, once again, ride or die. And I guess at this point, maybe there's a piece of Cassidy. It's like, they had me for a half hour. Six of them. Six of them had me for 30 yeah, minutes. In for a penny, in for a pound. You know, even though she you doesn't know? have many pennies to her name. It's also something like very Lockean too, right? This idea of, you know, when we had Anthony Cooper approach him in orientation about like Locke being so obsessed with him because he just needed to know why. I think there is something about finding that idea of resolution. And I think that Kate and Cassidy both have that idea too, which is why Cassidy sees a bit of herself in Kate at this moment of someone close to me betrayed me and I need to find out why. That sounds familiar. I'm going to help you, Cassidy. I mean, Kate. I mean, Lucy. Yeah, she's in. She's in. She's like, they had me for a half hour. They had no idea it was a wig. I think we might be all right here. Yeah. Listen, uh, we got some real dumb cops in Iowa. Yeah, apparently. these guys are idiots. So I think we might be okay. Um, back on the island, uh, Kate's looking around for a trail. She wants to go back to the barracks. Julia's like, seriously, you want to go back to the barracks? You want to wait until morning? It's going to rain. It's like, if it rains, I lose the trail. Come yeah, on, let's a, go. Very, like, come on. I know you weren't in season one, Juliet, but this is like textbook stuff. Yeah. And so then it's the then it's the clip that we heard at the top of the podcast. It's the whole like, why did you handcuff? Like, why would they handcuff you and bring us out into the middle of the jungle? And Juliet's like, hmm. Yeah. Why indeed? Like maybe rethinking this a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like this maybe oh, this wasn't my best little, idea. A <laughs> little extraordinary. I yeah. This may have now. been a little extra. May have been a little extra. Uh, Juliet also starts to read Kate for filth uh, mm-hmm. about going back for Jack. She's like, he he like explicitly said, "Do not come back for me." Uh, now you're going back for Jack. Like, why are you doing? And so Kate's like, I don't want to listen to this. So she just punches Juliet in the face several times uh, and grabs Juliet's arm and twists it and dislocates Juliet's shoulder. Uh, and Juliet later will be like, don't give yourself too much credit. My shoulder's been dislocated four times. Uh, and I feel like it probably didn't help Juliet's shoulder's case at all that Juliet dragged Kate from the barracks to the middle of the jungle. Uh, right, she probably did a lot of that work herself. Definitely got to work at it. I don't know about the exercise machine status. When, when the monster comes roaring in, because like you said, this is certainly an episode for the monster... Is Juliet putting up a front there with like the what is that? Or do you think she was genuinely afraid slash concerned about the monster? I I think that she's got to be putting up a front, right? Because she then goes to turn on the sonar fence. And so she she knows about it. The sonic fence. Whatever. I don't remember the word. Uh, She goes and turns on the fence. Uh, 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 A sonic weapon. Yeah, she knows how she knows what to do. So how does she know how to do that, but doesn't know what the monster is simultaneously? Unless this is like, she's heard about the monster, but hasn't seen the monster before that I can buy. Um, but at least knows that there's a monster and knows that there's a fence that you're ought, you ought to turn on so that yeah. you can use the know. fence. The monsters did sound, I don't know, a bit different. This episode it felt less electronic. This episode, I don't know if the taxi uh, receipt printer ended up going off, but it felt like, again, the monster sounded much more prehistoric, than it yeah. did modern. So maybe Julia just didn't recognize the sound. It's possible. Um, but the, the disconnect here is, is part of what's tough for me because it's interesting that when, what ends up happening is Kate and Juliet, they hide in like the same little like bamboo booth yeah, the that band, Kate the hid tree. in. Uh, back in back in the day, and also Boone and Shannon in Hearts and Minds, and so like when when the monster comes calling, look for this bamboo booth. This is a safe space. Uh, and so the monster like hovers next to them and starts like flashing at Juliet. Right yeah, there's like the white then, flashes and, and on then her. Let's take a drink, everybody. Drinks on me. This is the lost weird slow mo making a return as the strobe light goes off right in front of Juliet. So uh, you know this could this this is. 
I know for some people, this is like a compelling thing to unpack of like, why is the monster strobe lighting at Juliet? What is it sensing from her? What is she seeing? Is this like the monster being like, oh, this is the chick from the 70s who sets off the (laughs) nuclear bomb. So like, I can't kill her because I'm really leaning on this whatever happened, happened idea. And like my plan is starting to formulate. So maybe I'll just like lurk, a lurk, a lurk around. You know, maybe give them a little bit of a scare in, a, in, a, in, a, in like a few hours. Uh, like maybe that's what's going on with the monster here. But I don't, I don't know. Like I think like the the way in which it all plays out with Juliet also like kind of like playing dumb about the monster, but clearly knowing a little bit more than she's letting on uh, takes a little bit of the teeth out of this for me. Uh, so I, I guess I can like come up with like that's my explanation for it is like the monsters like reading Juliet and seeing like oh she's important she's got to stay. Can't do anything here. And also, Kate's a candidate, so I can't touch her. So See, books. that's the thing as well, is, is a bit of teeth is removed in the fact that, like, yeah, it's chasing them, but the monster can't do anything directly. To I don't Kate. mind it when, when the monster is just, like, doing it's well, like, I'm well, bored. I was gonna say, I'm, I'm, I'm just fine with the read of the monsters just screwing with them. Yeah. Like, maybe the monster saw that Juliet's going through with this ruse, and it's like, ooh, I want to play too. I want to get involved, so I'm going to chase you. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I think, like, every time the monster's on the show... Hopefully something meaningful is happening with it. And I think like the meaningful moment with the monster in this episode, at least explicitly, is that it can't travel through the fence, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a or, thing. Or above the fence. Right. So we'll talk about that later. And I'm sure we've got questions on that front. But uh, I don't know. I think like a little bit of a waste of the monster, uh, of using the monster in this yeah. episode. It's just, it's just, it's a weird you know, small scale. I talked about this with the further instructions, right? That after the hatch implodes, it's weird to go back to the polar bears. It's just kind of weird with the others to sort of like have the monster be the quote unquote antagonist for this episode. Even if you don't know that Juliet is a mole, it's a, it's an odd placement for the monster. In my opinion, it's a little strange. Uh, so the monster goes away. Uh, meanwhile, back at the beach, Sawyer's apology tour continues. I ain't kissing no damn baby. Claire's like really influential. If she votes for you to stay, you're home free, dude. Well, why wouldn't she vote for me? It's not like I ever done anything bad to her. Nah, but you never did anything good for her either. And have you ever even asked how Aaron is? Well, I know how he is. He cries loud and he smells. You see, that's what I'm talking about. You're sarcastic. People don't like that. Right. So I go over... Do what? Moms love it when you show an interest in their babies. So go over there, say something nice, call her Claire, and give her this. I know you can do it, dude. Hey, Claire. Hey. Hey there, little baby. Aaron. Is, uh, is there anything I can do for you? No. I just came by to say your babies. He's <laughs> not as wrinkly as he was a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's not. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, and uh, this is for you. Thank you. I don't like blankets. Good night. Good night. 
Josh, allow me to to drop a Big Brother reference here, if you will. I know we're sure. talking Survivor, but this past season, uh, the eventual winner had a segment where the thing that he hates the most in the Big Brother house is small talk. And we see him have to engage with uh, this woman called Christmas about a dance that she did in middle school to Proud Mary. And you could tell he's like going through the motions and being very fake with like, oh, can you do the dance? Wow. That was certainly a great dance. Did you win first prize? And I very much got that feeling from Sawyer here, right? <laughs> like he and Claire, from his opinion, have nothing in common. So he has to be like, oh, yeah, I don't like blankets. So I'm going to disagree with Hurley here. Sawyer's done nothing for Aaron. Do we forget the fact that he lulled Aaron to sleep several yeah, he used times to, with his voice? He used to read him to sleep. Why is Aaron crying at the sound of Sawyer now? What's changed? I mean, uh, babies do change. I can have experience with that person. Now, oh, do, they babies, do? do babies' behaviors change over the course of like a month? I'm uh-huh. not necessarily sure, but I, I could see a case where maybe he's like, I'm tired of Sawyer's voice. I want something new now. I don't like blankets is such a good line. Yeah. Just coming <laughs> up with Sawyer, an excuse. Like, hey there, Claire and uh, little baby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You are less oh, wrinkly you now are than not you as once were. As you were a couple weeks ago. Uh, I love it. I just love it. I just no, think this, it's, this, it's is a, a, this is a great com- comedic yeah. episode for Josh. <laughs> hey and there, then, then, little baby. Not, not nearly as used as the gin thumbs up, but I feel like the Hurley thumbs up at the end of this scene is a, is a good one too. Yeah, uh, I agree. I was thinking that as well. Uh, that I that I really like that moment where it just like shoots back to to Sawyer. Uh, just it's going great. <laughs> You're doing it. <laughs> it's happening for you. Um, all right. Before we get back to the rest of the episode, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a second. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, so let's go back to, to Kate and Juliet. They are, uh, they are stuck in the tree. Uh, and Juliet's like, is it, is it, is, is it over? Is it done? And Kate's all like, seriously, you don't know? You don't know, <laughs> you don't know any of this stuff? She's like, yeah, this is, this is all new to me. Uh, and then Kate's like, oh, by the way, about your shoulder. Uh, and Juliet's just like, yeah, don't worry about that. You don't flatter yourself. You know, you were, you, this wasn't you. Uh, this is round four of the Juliet gets her shoulder dislocated tour. Um, but Juliet is going to need Kate's assistance on a shoulder-related matter. Let's listen in. <laughs> Give me your hand. Why? Because I want you to pop it back in. No, I'm not going to. You're going to. Right now, it feels like there's broken glass under my skin. And if it weren't for you, I would be on my way home right now. Jack told me not to come back to protect me. 
because he didn't want me to get hurt. Is that what you think? Yeah, that's what I think. We have cameras on the cages, Cade. All of them. He saw you. You and Sawyer. The reason Jack told you not to come back wasn't because he didn't want you to get hurt. It was because you broke his heart. So, grab my wrist, push up, and twist. And they do the nice uh, little cutaway that they did similar to when Saeed yeah. closed Charlie's wound in, in Exodus. Should we make a list now, Josh, another... Of dance list? moves, push up, and twist? No, uh, uh, of the various good. medical Grab situations push that, up, that, Kate, twist. that Kate has found herself in. Because first episode, she had to sew Jack up mm-hmm. in... Uh, in, uh, uh, in when uh, Aaron was born, she had yes, to she, give birth she to delivered Aaron. A baby. She delivered and, a baby. And, and now she has to pop Juliet's shoulder back. And, like, Kate just gets caught up in these very unfortunate medical situations. She's going to uh, bring a gunshot victim in young Benjamin Linus to the others. Yeah, she really finds herself at the, the center of these medical emergencies uh, from, from time to time. Um, yeah, Juliet really needs the assist here. Juliet also uh, really... Uh, just go, going in on Kate here, being like, "Oh yeah, by the way, we've got we've got that on video. We saw yeah. what happened. We got the tapes." And Kate's like go, goes very quiet. She's like, oh, "I don't want. I don't. I don't like any of that. All of the, all of this is bad." I'm trying to remember though. Did were Kate and Sawyer aware of the cameras at the cages? I can't remember if they if they took notice of them. Um, not that I am aware of. I don't. Th- think so not not to my memory not in like mm-hmm. a really big moment but, yeah the, the know, only thing maybe. i could think of was i was trying to remember when alex uh b- broke the camera with a rock but i believe that was when jack was there uh during i think not in portland or stranger in a strange land that's that's when uh she approached him about working together so yeah i mean essentially Juliet's sort of doing what kate did to her and that she's putting broken glass under her skin emotionally mm. by saying like hey uh, BT Dubs, Jack didn't turn you away because he's stubborn Jack. It's because you broke his heart, because you did the nasty, you got caught in a net with Sawyer, and he watched the whole dang thing. Yeah, I think Kate's probably... Uh, there's, like, some truth to that, but I think Kate's read is actually still pretty right. I think Jack yeah, I mean, wanted, I, I think, wanted to protect I think that there's certainly some heartbreak there. I think it's a little column A, a little column B. I think they're I would say more column A than column B. I think, like, column A is the entree, and column B is, like, either a side... Or an mm-hmm. app, like a little bit of like a, the the heartbreak is like the mozzarella sticks that that Jack was snacking on before. I don't know the chicken parm and spaghetti. I was gonna uh, say while well, the uh, the stubbornness <laughs> is the chili that Cassie's gonna still oh, have to die sure. in, in a few minutes, or the boar feast that's about to come. Yeah, so Desmond and Sawyer in one of the very rare Desmond and Sawyer scenes, seriously are hunting hunting for boars. Uh, they've woken up very early. And so I was like, why are we up so early? Which I think is a ridiculous line uh, where I feel like Sawyer, who knows a little bit about a lot, I feel like he at least should know that, like, you go hunting, you go early. He's you gone go, like, hunting before. Granted, it was unsuccessful, but he's done it before. You know, so he's he's been on this a little bit. Like, maybe at this point he knows, but I guess not. Uh, but even Desmond's like, so why are we in a scene together, brother? 
Yeah. <laughs> Why is we've this never, script happening? We've never had a scene together, brother. What are we doing? Uh, and so he's like, yeah, so I gotta like, uh, I gotta survive the vote. Uh, I've got hearts and, and minds to change and says, oh yeah, Boone and Shannon are dead. Yeah. yeah good episode. Good episode. And he's like, I gotta survive the vote. Desmond's like, Penny's vote. Uh, he's like, no, not Penny's vote. Uh, the, the tribe's vote. I gotta survive tribal council tonight. Uh, and people like meat, he says. Uh, yeah, so he's like, I'm, I'm gotta give to... people something they like. When did Desmond become such a, cause I feel like in Par Avion, wasn't Correct. the joke that like Sawyer's, yes. ex, uh, Desmond's excuse was I was boar hunting even though yes. like he's not very good. Correct. So is Desmond actually <laughs> good at boar hunting? I don't know where this happened, but I guess, yeah, I guess maybe like he just like figured it out. I don't know. Yeah, because I, uh, I would imagine even when he was on the island, like he was getting Dharma rations. Inman was not sending him out because of the no, he was virus. In, he was on lockdown for, for years before yeah, we went exactly. outside. Unless, unless Inman's like, all right, I'm going to talk to you through how to shoot a boar just yeah, in case. Yeah, so just in case I ever abandon you and you need to know how to shoot a boar. Um, no, like, point, you know, props to Desmond for being able to just like one and done this. Because yeah, like yeah. before, like it was in Par Avion where he's like, Oh, Charlie, you should spend the day with me. I have all the things you can do. I think hanging out with me would be cool. Uh, and like, that's like, I, I went boar hunting. He like shoots the thing off. And Corey's like, what the hell? I don't see any boar. Uh, so those are like the only times we've ever seen Desmond really connected to boar. And yet he is now like the boar master in John Locke's absence. Yeah, I wonder um, if Desmond it's a little was strange. Like, you know what? That, that lie was actually pretty fun. Let me try to go out there and actually hunt some boar now. Maybe it's that Desmond's powers. Uh, or he can see the future as it pertains to Charlie and Boar. But talking mm. about the Boar piece is just not very like dramatic for the show. So that's just like all like B side material. Oh, interesting. But maybe so we can about- canonize that Desmond sees all the pigs coming before they show up. Yeah. So it's less about hunting Boar. And it's more like, okay, I know the Boar's going to die at this particular grove. Let me go in there and eventually it'll wander in and I'll shoot. It makes sense yeah, that he I'll would be, be a sharpshooter, yeah. right? He was in he was in the yeah. the army. Like he knows his way around a gun. Yeah, so maybe maybe that's it. Um, Kate and Juliet, the sun is shining, the rain is clear. Kate asks Juliet, how's your shoulder? Juliet replies, awesome. That's not a bit. That's not me shorthanding no, anything. it's really it's weird to hear Elizabeth, to Elizabeth Mitchell say awesome. I love it, though. It's, it's literally the dialogue is, how's your shoulder? And she goes, awesome. Uh, it's just so funny to me. Uh, one of my favorite lines from the episode. Uh, so they're, they're going to get back on their feet. They're going to keep going. Uh, and we're going to get our penultimate flashback scene at Diane's diner. Uh, Cassidy has ordered a bowl of chili. It doesn't look that appetizing. I mean, it is uh, diner chili. Listen, I don't know ca- what you're looking at. Cassidy throws the chili onto Diane. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. I'm sorry. Uh, and Diane says, it's all right. This happens all the time. Really? People are constantly throwing chili on you? Yeah, it's the old, uh, it's the, it's the big prank season, right? Where the kids come in, the little hooligans, they spill chili all over the waitresses. It's a big to-do in Iowa. Yeah, so she gets some chili on her. She's like, all right, I'm going to go clean the chili off. Uh, and she's in the bathroom trying to clean the chili off. And then somebody walks into the bathroom and it's like Diane knows immediately. She's yeah. not even looking in the mirror. She can't even see Kate's face, but she just has this like, oh shit, it's Kate. She knows. Yeah, so I I am honestly trying to rack my brain, Josh. In what Kate Dad, did we talk at all about our thoughts on like the whole Diane Jansen side of things? I honestly can't remember. I don't know if you do. You're asking me? I have no idea. I, We're doing this every week. I don't remember here, anything. Here's the thing. Like, I am really not a fan of Diane Jansen in this scene. Because um, I think, like, yes, the whole argument of you can't help who you love, even if they're a good or a bad person. 
I can understand that from a certain perspective. At the same time, A, stick up for yourself, girl. He was abusive. And B, I mean, does she know that he was making, like, unwelcome advances towards Kate as well? I don't know. I feel like uh, the, the situation with Wayne was obviously really, really awful. And clearly he had Diane in his grips in a way that was, like, outstandingly problematic and terrible that I think in a lot of these types of situations can be really hard to see the forest for the trees because of like the nature of the the victimization. So like I I feel I feel for Diane. I I feel bad for her here. I think like there there's there's no real clear good guy or bad guy in this conversation for me because like I feel bad for Diane for not being able to like get out from the shadow of all of that because I think that what happened to her was so awful and heavy that I think that unfortunately like that has had lasting impact on her. And that's just awful. And that's sort of the nature of the thing. Simultaneously, uh, I also think like she is to a certain degree correct when she tells Kate, like, you did this for you. You didn't do this for me. Um, but simultaneous to that, I don't think that Kate was, you know, like, I, I don't know that Kate was right in doing what she did. I think what Kate did was obviously illegal for a reason. Um, but I think it's also understandable why Kate did what she mm. did. Like, I think, mm-hmm. like, the, the building blocks for all of that are there. So it's just very sloppy. It's very messy. It's, to me, the like scene, much like Chili, to me, the scene is just not, like, rendered particularly thoughtfully. Um, yeah. And it's dealing with, I think, like, really sloppy, difficult subject matter uh in a way that just for for me doesn't doesn't hit too, uh too hard in in the scene itself uh even though obviously like i i love both actors and i am out here every week trying to tell you that evangeline lily as kate is severely underrated as far as the performance goes at the very least the writing is a totally other matter i think um this scene just doesn't really pop for me in a in a huge way uh, I yeah, think a well, big piece of that is because, like, it feels like it exists to set up why Diane is going to call for help when she sees Kate uh, at the hospital. It's like, we didn't need a flashback for this. Yeah, and I think for me, it's because I think you bring up some great points from her perspective. I do not think this scene does any favors in giving Diane Jansen empathy. Like, it is very, it's a very quick scene. And I think Evangeline Lilly does a good job in the scene, and Breath Broderick as well, for what it's worth. Uh, especially, but seeing like Kate's heartbreak is is really sad and and very emotionally palpable as to why she is sort of left behind, in a manner of speaking, by her own mother. But I feel like the scene is just like very quick to sort of show Diane as being, for lack of a better term, kind of callous of just being like, "Well, I loved him, and you killed the man I loved, so shame on you, Kate. I never want to see you again." As opposed to, I think. There is something that could, in a different world, explore the complicated emotions that she's working through as a woman and coming from an abusive relationship that the script just doesn't want to pay care to. And as a result, I do not think it's a good scene for Diane. Even if the situation is complicated, the scene does not complicate things, in my opinion. Yeah, so Diane says, if I ever see you again, the first thing I'll do is yell for help. And indeed, that is going to be the first thing she does when she sees Kate again. Uh, so I'm glad we got that covered. Yeah, and and I I will. It's interesting though because uh, Diane says that there are two U.S. marshals sitting at the diner right now. I mean, I think even like that she was there. She was at the diner, and they didn't notice her. Yeah, 
That's all part of Cassidy. Uh, Cassidy's got them distracted. Cassidy's just killing it in this episode. Yeah, they're just like, wow, was that the girl who had, like, the really, like, terrible community theater Rapunzel? Yeah, they're like, do you think we should, like, go and ask her about that? I don't know. I feel awkward. Uh, Well, let's take her in. Let's have another half hour of Inquisition. Yeah, Cassidy's got them wrapped around her chicken finger. Uh, (laughs) Meanwhile, back on the island, Juliet and Kate, and Kate's like, how do you know I broke his heart? You don't even know him. And Julia's like, actually, I know exactly how tall he is. I know what his favorite food is. I know who he was married to. I know why he got divorced. I know about his dad and how he died. I know Jack's weight. I know his birth type. Yeah, so uh, so here's here's my thing. It's like Actually, this is very Survivor-esque, right? This is sort of like the Chrissy Hoffbeck being like, I know information. Cole, here's what you scored on your ACTs. Joe, here are the names of your children. I just have never liked that argument of like, I know so much about this person because it's two completely different circumstances, right? Like, I know what Juliet is intending to do, but Jack never really volunteered, maybe save the the married stuff. Jack never really volunteered a lot of that information as to like where he worked, where he came from, etc. He's been very secretive on the island a good portion of the time, with the exception of like, maybe he'll volunteer some information about uh, when he used to be married to someone like Bernard in the past. So like, I don't necessarily fault Kate that much for being like, Jack, tell me about your relationship with your father, please. I need to get this information out of you. Again, I know what Juliet's purposes are about it, but I find her argument itself is a little faulty here. Yeah, I think she's, you know, uh, it's a bit of a flex here. I think in this moment, um, all of that is true. She knows these things about Jack. Um, She also knows Jack from life experience now, right? Like they're bonded in their own ways. They've been going through their own shared thing together. Um, But, you know, I think what Kate doesn't know in all of these specifics Kate knows from even more life experience with Jack, like earned experience with him. Um, but I, I do think that like Juliet has a piece of that as well at right. this point. So, you know, there she's, she's trying to make her point. I think, uh, you know, this is a bit of like a, a love quadrangle episode. Yeah. Well, this, um, I mean, now I'm just realizing that freaking Juliet is using the same damn logic that Susan's lawyer did with Michael. Right. Back in special, right. Of like, if you know Jack so much, what's his favorite color? And it's just maybe maybe that's why I guess my blood boiling is it makes me think of stupid Susan. Well, I don't like it in conjunction with the idea that this whole trip in the jungle is supposed to be a bonding excursion mm-hmm. between with bo- Juliet with and Kate. Yeah, you know, like they're literally bonded together and like Juliet's hoping that like Kate will become her friend. This is not a way to like none of the things that she's, Juliet she's really has done. Negging, she's negging Kate right now. Very hard. So none of it really lines up. And so we get to this moment where the monster shows back up. They're running. They fall in the mud. They get to the fence. Uh, Juliet's like, we got to go through the fence. And Kate's like, no, last time I went through the fence, like someone got his brain zapped out. And Juliet's like, it's going to be fine. Kate's like, I don't believe it's it. Fine. Juliet's he like, was breathing, actually. You didn't notice. You, you didn't you didn't pause down to see that he was breathing. And so Juliet's like, all right, well, I'm done with this. So she takes the key out of her pocket, uh, uncuffs herself. Kate is furious. Juliet goes and punches a code, gets the, the fence ready to go back up and running, convinces Kate to finally come onto the other side, activates the fence, and the monster just slams into it. And the monster's like, I probably could just go over this, but I'm not going to. Fine, I'll go, yeah, I'll, go, I'll keep going along with this little game that we're playing. I also find it weird uh, color coding on the other's part to have red mean activated. Because usually to me, red means like it's it's not working and green usually means go. Uh, so maybe it's just Ben's warped logic of things. I don't know. Uh, I think I would want red as like stop. You know, like don't well, yeah, come, don't things. come, don't walk through. 
Don't walk through. Don't move. Don't go any further. And green would be like, it is safe for you to travel. Interesting. So green means you can go through. It's almost like the yeah, traffic like light the, corresponds the, the to the color. Light. Yeah, the color codes aren't for the monster. The color <laughs> code is for you. The color code is like, it is safe for you, Mike, to walk through the fence. Here's a green. Green. Green light. Yeah. Uh, red light, don't do it. Yeah, maybe that's actually, they were just playing red light, green light with the monster. I think that's possible. So the monster shows up, can't get past the fence, womp, womp. Uh, and Juliet now has some splaining to do herself. <sighs> All right. We don't know what it is, but we know that it doesn't like our fence. You had a key. They left me behind, too. They gassed me. I know that you don't care, but the people I spent the last three years of my life with, they just left me. I thought that maybe... Maybe if I could make you think that we were in it together... Maybe I wouldn't get left behind again. Okay, so I'm a little confused. Uh, So... Juliet's whole plan has just been bad, and she's like, "I all right." So I know this this whole thing was stupid. I shouldn't have done what I did, but I did. Don't be mad at me. Yeah, but is there duplicity in that as well? Is sort of my question. You know, like obviously, I do think Mm. that pulling the key out was a bit of a swerve. But do you think now she's like she's like, okay, I got caught. You know, I'm I'm the Among Us imposter that got caught venting. What do I do now? And she's sort of like, okay, yes, I did this. But we're on the same side. Or like she definitely is still putting forth, right? Like she's not saying, "Hey, I'm a mole. Uh, don't tell anybody." She's still putting forward this logic of, "I was left behind by the others. They right. gassed me." So she is trying to save face a bit here. Yeah, maybe her whole plan is to look so bad at scheming uh, that Kate won't really pay her much mind moving forward. That's actually you know? a very good point, that she Maybe sort of is not it. considered a threat in that regard. Again, to go mm. back to the survivor parlance of like, I'm a goat right now. I'm Juliet the goat. Drag me to the end through handcuffs. But or she has like the blind side in her back pocket. She she has the idol. She knows when the votes are coming to, to 815. Yeah, she's, uh, like, she's like, look, I you know you can trust me now because look how bad I am at lying. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she's a genius after all. I don't think so, though. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but that's a, that's an explanation, potentially. Uh, so she's given her the whole spiel. Kate's not really thrilled with any of this. Um, back at camp. Uh, the, the, it's Boarfest. Boarfest 2007. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, Charlie's loving Boarfest. He's like, mmm, this is so good. This boar. Yeah, just seeing Dharma steak sauce and a little bit of paprika. Yeah, look at this uh, this suckling pig. What a feast. Uh, and so I was like, Isn't that, I just, I, now you're going to vote in my favor, right? So I was like, vote? What vote? Yeah, what's, so, I, think it says, I think it says, since when do we vote around things around here? Yes, uh, which is, you know, take that for what you will. And then Sawyer's mad and he's going to go and stomp at Hurley. Mm. Oh, it's delicious. It's a little Dharma one and paprika. Mm. I hope you'll remember this little barbecue at your meeting later. Oh, what meeting? 
Hurley told me about the boat. Boat? Since when did anyone around here boat? You son of a bitch. There wasn't ever going to be no vote. But wasn't it nice being nice? You tricked me into being decent? That's got to be the lamest cons in the history of cons. Wasn't a con, dude. If you're going to be our temporary leader, you need to do some damage control. Leader? What the hell are you smoking? Jack's gone. Locke's gone. Kane Saeed. You're all we got. Apollo and Nikki died. We all look to you. Then again, you totally tried to steal the diamonds, but we wanted to look to you. Look around. You made everyone happy. Just for today, they can eat boar, laugh, and forget that they're totally screwed. And you did that for them, dude. You. What if I don't want to be the leader? Yeah, well, I don't think Jack wanted it either. Sucks for you, dude. And that's also a great mirroring to the final episode, right? Where, like, Hurley is so reticent to take yes. guardianship from Jack. Uh, and so he I doesn't think, want anything to do with it. And, like, it's literally like, dude, you need to do it. He's like, oh. Yeah, exactly. Because he knows, like, he sees how Jack and Locke yes. and now at this point Sawyer have reacted to the idea of leadership. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things where he's like, Hurley's talking about making everyone happy just for today. They can eat boar, laugh, and forget they're totally screwed. Like, Hurley, you've done that so many times. You're the just, leader, dude. It's always been you. It's you. It's always been you. Isn't that basically what Jack says? Like, it's always been you. It's you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and like, so I, I love it. I, I love this episode uh, from that lens of uh, Hurley trying to get Sawyer to be a better leader is actually he's just leading. Uh, he's just doing the things and like so you don't you don't need a sequel to lost because you know that the place under hurley's control is going to be amazing it's exactly. golf tournaments every every other week and suckling pig yeah. and just like ev- ev- everything you can imagine it's basically a resort that sawyer talked about and i mean this is also then followed by like a really fun little uh musical montage of hurley and sawyer now sort of being like the consummate waiters and going around to everybody and offering them pineapple and everyone loves it except for son <laughs> Yeah. Also, Desmond, who does not accept a plate, it would appear he's just like, "Nah, I'm good." It's like, Why? Yeah, maybe he maybe he saw I don't know the future for that pineapple, and he's like, "It doesn't look good for that pineapple." Doesn't look so good. But yeah, the the Quans are still not into Sawyer, but otherwise Sawyer's making nice with everybody. So a nice story for Sawyer. Sawyer's the leader of the group now for about five minutes before <laughs> everybody shows back up. Yeah. Thanks for keeping the seat warm, Sawyer. Exactly. It's literally like uh, this could have come earlier. You know, but no. So Sawyer's in charge for a hot minute now. Um, meanwhile, back at the barracks, uh, Juliet's going to go find Saeed. Kate's going to go find Jack. And Kate and Jack are going to have... Uh, Kate's going to spill her guts, fish style, in the hallway with Jack. Jack? Jack? Hey, Jack, wake up. It's me. They all left. What? What? Because of me. I'm so sorry. I should have listened to you. 
whatever. I wanted to come back to help you. But you didn't need me to. And now because of me, you can't go. I am so sorry. They just left. Even, even Julianne. Then he tries to get her to go back again. Yeah, we have to. Now we go back. What are we supposed to do? We have to. So wait, so so wait. Was Jack knocked out for like an entire day longer than Kate and Juliet were? Yes. Don't think too hard about it. All right. I guess they also. How did they knock Saeed out? Because like, did they gas like the open air? Because he was in the back. Don't think about it too hard. Uh, Uh, Maybe I'll I'll end up gassing myself out. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine lower dosage because like Juliet has the Kate plan maybe I don't know yeah I mean I don't know listen Jack is is clearly not one for anesthesia clearly the others have trouble dosing as well Mm -hmm. so uh uh, yeah you know here we are just like with a little bit of the uh the Jack and Kate show it's been a minute and like let's throw a little Juliet in for good measure and here's Kate like let me just sum up the message of the episode for you let me just sit here moment where Jack's like where Kate apologized to Jack like I shouldn't have come back and Jack doesn't even seem really concerned with that apology he's more so where's Juliet and that's Again, when we're informing the situation of the love quadrangle at that moment, like that's the, like you said, the headline of this this episode, or at least what we're supposed to take away here, is like Kate's realizing now that she's lost Jack. Ah, uh, yeah. So Jack's still worrying about Juliet. Um, in the past, final flashback uh, scene of the episode, Kate's like, "All right, so tell me about the other guy. Uh, tell me about what happened to you, Cassie. How do I pay this back? Uh, can I kick his butt?" I would have loved to have seen Cassidy be like, yeah, here, let's go right now. And then yeah. Cassidy and Kate in, in a sideways universe go and <laughs> beat the shit out of Sawyer would be very no, fun. No, then it was Kate going to wear like a Cassidy wig now and then the cops will yes. be very confused. Correct, correct, correct. Uh, this is where Cassidy says, I'm pregnant. It's Sawyer's baby, but I love him. Uh, and so Kate's like, well, call the cops. Get him, get him thrown in jail. And Cassidy's like, hmm. hmm. But that won't be a very good flashback. Hmm, maybe, but maybe. Uh, but would you? are you ever going to forgive your mom for calling the cops? She's like, no, I'm not. She's like, hmm, well, there you go. Yeah. But so she's going to do it Cassie anyway. At that point, it's like, ah, you know what? Uh, forgiveness worth is it. for suckers. Like, yeah. it's worth it. It incepted. I think Kate Kate uh, gets an assist. Uh, the, the alley-oop. She <laughs> alley-ooped Sawyer into prison. 
Yeah, definitely uh, a, a layup, I guess, for Cassidy here to the events of every man for himself. I don't know basketball, so I don't know. Uh, but it's all connected, man. Uh, Kate and Cassidy are going to go their separate ways. We'll see them again together in the future. I look mm-hmm. forward to that. I really like them as friends. I think. Yeah, well, now, especially because the group. next time Kate's going to approach Cassidy, it's going to be with much different information and her realizing the connection that they have. So the relationship is going to be demonstrably changed after this. Totally, totally, totally. Um, back at the barracks, Jack and Juliet are back together. Saeed and Jack like, hey, Jack. Hey, Saeed. It's a little uh, dry. Uh, their first time seeing each other in a very long time. Um, they don't, you know, I think they're both a little suspicious of one another. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think, uh, well, I think... So like, listen, man, I saw you playing football with, uh, with Mr. Friendly. This is weird. But also, despite those those misgivings, I mean, so, you know, they talk about 50 people disappeared into thin air, maybe a bit of a foreshadowing of the purge that we're going to see in the man behind the curtain. But Saeed, human lie detector, sees right through Juliet. Jack says, right. nope, she's coming with us. And Saeed is, just says, I mean, he doesn't say anything. So I guess that's sort of his, that's his consent in a manner of speaking. And, and she goes off with the group. Yeah, they left her behind, too. So Jack says, she's coming with us. So Saeed and, doesn't like it, but I think Saeed can accommodate it because he's like, well, I've got my eye on her. So if she's under uh, if she's under my microscope, it's going to be all right. But I, I don't love this. Right. It's, sort of, it's this. Sort of like, well, I'd rather have at least her in my view than like her off with him. But when Jack right. says because they left her behind too, do you think Jack is being tricked here? Or do you think it's just Jack playing into this savior complex of like no man left behind? Someone is here. I have to. I have to take care of them. Yeah, I think uh, he's being he's being duped at this point. I think like Juliet eventually is going to come clean to Jack and be like, "So listen, uh, Ben wants me to have a bunch of you kidnapped. I've been thinking about this more, and like I really would like to just end this whole thing. I think like that's basically how it ends up playing out. Uh, and Jack is just quick to forgive her and basically be like, "Look, I get it. Uh, we've been through a lot. Let's let's continue. We've got good ideas here. Simpatico. This is working out." Um, but I think right now, I think Jack is uh, a little bit of the, the wool pulled over, but they've been through a lot together already at this point as yeah. well. Yeah, that's the thing as well is like, yes, he's being duped, but there's sort of a history, like you said, with the, the Juliet biographical information stuff to back it up a little bit where it's not like a straight up con, but maybe it's a con in the way that like Sawyer cons Cassidy and like the, it's the person who gets close to you is the one to most likely manipulate you. And so I, yeah. I can't necessarily blame Jack. I mean, this is a guy that also thinks with his heart. He ha- he doesn't have what it takes to quote his dad. So it would make sense that whatever feelings you want to say he has for Juliet, if platonic or romantic, I think he certainly is swayed a bit by, you know, the the experiences that they've had together to make him feel like she has to come to. Let's get into some feedback here for Left Behind. This is from the great Eric Divestein who writes in, I've heard people wondering why the monster can't jump over the fence, even though we've seen it soar quite high into the air before. I got a theory. Maybe Smokey can jump the fence, but he chooses not to in order to create the false impression to the others that he can be controlled and predicted to an extent so that he can lure them into a false sense of security and not be seen as a major threat. Evidently, it's working, as we'll later see Ben try to summon the smoke monster under the false impression he knows how to control it. Um, Eric, this is the best explanation, as far as yeah. I'm concerned, uh, because I know that we'll get there in the final season that Charles Widmore and like all of his cronies have Hydra Island decked out in the fence. Uh, and I think like Locke looks at it all and he's like, hmm, interesting, but like... Is there ever a moment where the fence like really, really keeps him at bay, or is there always an interpretation of like 
the man in black is just choosing to like not engage it. Right. Because uh, uh, in, in that world, at least, I think you can definitely operate under the assumption of like, I just want you guys to all feel like you're a little bit safer than you really are. Right. Or it could maybe it's almost a, a thing to the effect of the pearl where it's like, well, we the others know it doesn't work, but they make like Smokey believe that it doesn't work. It's almost like a weird psychosomatic, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, symptomization yeah. of being like, oh, my God, I'm trapped. I can't get out when it's really like, no, this is just air. Or maybe this is like a blast of wind, you know, to simulate the effect of a force field. Yeah, a mighty blast of wind. Jim Fells uh, writes in The Great Jim Fells, uh, during the monster's second attack, it very briefly appears as three separate entities coming together from the jungle which seems to hint at the whole Cerebrus uh, three-headed being thing. Sadly, it's the only time the monster is depicted in this way. Wonder what you guys make of it. Um, yeah, 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 I so, mean, so, so if like you don't the, remember, the three the, yeah, there's wizards. a shot of like, three wisps of smoke coming yeah. from different areas together. I think it's actually right before the monster co- ends up colliding with the fence. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think like maybe something that they're Easter egging, but obviously it doesn't really amount to too much in the end. Yeah. Um, unless you like want to interpret it as like the smoke monster has three heads is that the smoke monster was created and exists because of the, the triumvirate of Jacob, the man in black and Alice and Janney. Right. Like the, the entirety of across yeah, like the, the, the sea. That's the, it's the family. They've split up. Yeah, but now they have a family the, reunion. It's the family. Uh, but no, that like they're like their family dysfunction is effectively what creates the smoke monster. That that's the parable of a mother and her two sons and it all goes wrong. And because of the the malfunction between the three people, the smoke monster is created. Uh, mm-hmm. You could view it that way, but it, I feel like I'm stretching right now, Mike, and I don't well, normally stretch. Uh, but that's let, not let a me, thing let that me I do. pull out another piece of Greek mythology instead of Cerberus. What if it's more of a Hydra take? Hail Hydra. Where it's less so about, like, oh, this is the three-headed guardian, and more so this is a a multi-headed monster where even if you think you've taken it out, it turns out that you are mistaken and that more might pop up in its stead. Where we have seen, we have tracked the monster popping up in so many different forms, be it smoky or corporeal, over the course of Lost. And this is more so representing the fact that this is some sort of creature or manifestation that takes many forms and many heads and that you can never really get rid of. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I like that. Uh, I'm I'm into all that. Stefan Johnson says, uh, since this is the last Kate flashback, again, we've clarified that to a certain degree, um, how do you think her past was handled overall? Would you have handled it differently? Um, I, you know, I think we, we talked about this to an extent of like, it's, you know, Lost is not a, a supremely streamlined show. A lot of things happen out of sequence. And I think that, at least for me, like I feel more interested in putting forth the effort to like uh to combobulate you know to like put everything in its proper order uh do you combobulate if you discombobulate mike yeah i mean i guess i didn't realize i i don't know i'm, I'm taking a like, shot i'm not sure or is it just I don't know. like discombobulate I don't know. has to be the word do you I combobulate that, i don't know I, I do think and i wonder if and when we do sort of like a chronologically lost thing i wonder how kate's story plays when you put it all in order uh, i would say you know i think definitely reorganizing the order and i would also say maybe eschewing some of the one-time characters in favor of bringing in more prominent characters uh in and out of kate's mythos that makes us you know again care about the people that are in her inner circle so that when she inevitably pushes them away or they push her away 
it's that much more meaningful as opposed to like, wow, Ray Mullen sold Kate out? My God, heart, my heart is broken. <laughs> uh, Jesse Camacho, who's a huge, uh, f- a huge fan by his own admission of the, of the love quadrangle. Uh, Jesse says, I believe these flashbacks were written with a Sawyer Kate endgame in mind that never came to pass. Hmm. And I, I don't know. Um, maybe I think. It, it's you could certainly read it that way. I do think that this is a this is a fun episode to look at from the framework of there's a very clear Sawyer story going on here, uh, and Sawyer being susceptible to a con, uh, and then there's the Juliet storyline that's going on where she's trying to con and she's doing a bad job at <laughs> it. And like I I can and, and like through Kate she's dealing with uh, one of Sawyer's. Uh, it's like the it's like the 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 Sawyer's girlfriend of the past mm-hmm. is Cassidy. Sawyer's girlfriend of the present is Kate, and Sawyer's girlfriend of the future, even though it's the past, is Juliet. Uh, and so, like the way in which that's all threaded together, I think is kind of fun. And I can imagine the world where you know, in those three years in the seventies, where things are kind of blissful with with James and Juliet. Juliet being like, I know you don't like to talk about Kate all that much, but it has been a couple of years and I've got a really funny story to tell you. Uh, and like she tells like, so I thought it would be a good idea to drag Kate out into the jungle and handcuff myself to her. I thought maybe we'd get close. And Sawyer's like, yeah, uh, Freckle's smarter than that. So if that didn't work with you and Kate, like I, I'm not surprised. Uh, so I don't know. I actually, I like this episode it, less in the skate sense and more in the Suliet, uh, mm-hmm. which sounds Awful. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, if there's a. Was, what, what was the ship name for them? I don't. Even I don't think. know. I don't Soya know. Soliet. Yeah, Joyer. I don't know. Joyer. Or yeah, or maybe we do J and J, James and Juliet. Um, Suliet. Yes. Yeah, Suliet. Like Suliet. Uh, yeah, I, I think. I mean, to Jesse's point, I think that season three, if you're looking at the love quadrangle, I think they were really pushing Kate and Sawyer and Jack and Juliet as the couples and that's going to complicate more like season season four i think they really start to do away with the whole jack and juliet shipping uh because they were probably aiming for stuff so i would not be surprised if maybe it wasn't an end game but at the moment they're like yeah we're leading towards the sawyer kate stuff Mm. Uh, and maybe less so about okay we know that kate's going to end up with jack at the end but we're going to need to complicate things and that's where the whole juliet point comes through uh from from phoebe nugent the great phoebe nugent uh after living in new otherton why on earth would Jack not just bring everybody over to live there instead of on the beach? Or at least consider it as an option. Listen, he's been through this with the caves. He knows that these some people are not necessarily good when it comes to moving. Maybe he just wanted to do everyone a solid and not have to worry about everyone packing up everything for the umpteenth time. Yeah. Um, one last thing. Uh, so we put out the poll, Mike. Which episode has the darker ending? Expose or the variable? The people have spoken. They are Team Bloom on this one. Overwhelmingly, wow. I would say. 68.4% agree with you, Mike, that Expose is a darker ending than the variable. 31.6% for the variable. So, listen, I'm not very good at math, but even I know when the numbers are bad for me. Uh, well, so, to, well, to you and the others, I tip I tip my hat. Respectfully disagree, but I am, I am, I'm happy for your victory here. Thank you. But I also, I think another interesting distinction was taken up in the discourse this week, almost accidentally, the discourse and the discord, because I think there was a difference between sad, tragic, and dark. Because uh, if you're talking about, like, those types of endings, I think the saddest ending might be something like The Candidate, when Jin and Sun die. Or the life and death of Jeremy Bantham, uh, Bentham. 
You know, it's just something that makes you feel very sad for the people. Tragic, I think, is where you put the variable. I think tragic that like what happens to uh what happens to Daniel Faraday seems like something out of like a Greek tragedy if uh Aristophanes was like tripping on something and wrote a Greek tragedy where like he almost caused his own fate and it makes you really think about the true downfall that he has in his purpose in life. And then darkness, you know, comes in more so with the expose and the actual activity that happens. It's almost like tragedy is the ending of Romeo and Juliet. Darkness is the ending of Titus Andronicus. Like, they're both tragedies in their own right, but I think there is distinction between the words. So I would say that I think the variable is a tragic, probably the most tragic ending of loss, and I'm excited to get to it. But uh, I'm happy that the people at least side with me on this one, that I think expose is dark, and we can bury this one th- and bury this one. <laughs> uh, what did Jim Fells get into with his music analysis for Left Behind, Mike? Yeah, a couple of things. So obviously there's a lot on the monsters motif. Jim does make note that the monsters motif is actually very similar to the mystery theme that has occurred since the very first episode. You just like take a note take away a note and, re- and add another note. And he does note that Michael Giacchino has said that, you know, the the, the, mo- the mystery theme was sort of like the spiritual center of the island as a concept. So it makes sense that the monster uh, plays into that. We have sort of like a Kate and Mother's theme that plays when she and Diane talk, because we're going to hear it when they talk again during Eggtown. And then also uh, when she approaches Cassidy again to talk about Sawyer and Clementine. And then when she talks to uh, to Lindsay, Aunt Lindsay, about having ownership of Aaron. Uh, and there's also a fun little turn here where the Sawyer theme that we heard during Confidence Man, especially during like that very intense interrogation, gets turned right on its head to be super comical this episode. It plays specifically during that aforementioned Sawyer yelping fishing scene. So it just shows that Giacchino gets to, to use what he made before, but manipulate it in a way to give a completely different context. Uh, here's another fun thing to do. I forgot that we did this, that we were ranking Kate's aliases, uh, mm-hmm. across the show. Uh, so we now have to like land Lucy. So this is the list for those who forget. Um, Monica, uh, from I Do is number one. Uh, Annie, the Canadian backpacker from Tabula Rasa is number two. Uh, Maggie, the bank robber in third from whatever the case may be. And then Joan Hart. Blonde motel frequenter from Born to Run. So where where are we putting uh, Lucy? Uh, we have a fifth a fifth alias to put on the map. I have I have an inclination. If you don't know yeah. where to start, I mean, yeah, I think it's I think it's it's got to be like I think the only question is is it above or below Joan Hart? Because I do not think I think the other three are so much more actionable and actually building up a persona that like Lucy really doesn't have a persona. She doesn't give a reason why she's there. She doesn't like the only background she gives as to her name. So I I have to dock her a lot of points for that. Yeah. But I think Maggie, uh, hmm, I think Maggie probably, uh, my question would be is, is Lucy above or below Maggie? I think definitely Mm -hmm. above Joan because we're just not in the Joan storyline at all. Um, Right. But at least for Lucy, Lucy's in town long enough to like evade six law and order officials. Uh, and like, but maybe it's that they're so bad at their job that do you want to give the credit to Lucy? Yeah, I don't I, know. I, I, I'm good with putting it right above Joan. Cause I think that Maggie sure. is just more of like a more realized persona. Like she was actually sitting down getting sure. a loan for the bank. This is something that Kate clearly worked on. This just, if there was a persona created, it was not very fleshed out whatsoever. And so I, I can't really like, put the mystery of Lucy above, albeit the very bad persona, but like still a concrete persona of Maggie Ryan. All right. MVPs and LVPs, Mike. I've got two MVPs, three LVPs. You've got three MVPs 
two LVPs. Where do you want to start? Let's give one to Hurley because he did so Pile much. Pile it on. Great. I'm going to give him one too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great episode for Hurley. He's able to get Sawyer to do good things, and he's unintentionally proving himself to be the eventual leader of the island as well. So, like, he got to con the con man for the second time in, like, three episodes. This is a great episode for Hurley. He did great. He did great. It's a, it's a you know, he just wanted Sawyer to be nicer. And so he has a lasting impact on Sawyer moving forward through his actions in this episode. Hurley, you did it. I'm so proud of you. You just did such a such a good job. So Hugo gets a point from me as uh, well. So two MVP points for Hurley. I'm going to give one point to Cassidy. Uh, I can't remember if File I it on. I'm going to give one to Cassidy Ooh, as well. Double trouble for Cassidy <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah, because I don't remember if we gave her points during the long con, but like, she's such a good friend in this episode to, a, to basically a stranger. And the fact that she was able to evade the police, despite how inept they may be, I do think deserves some kudos here. I completely agree. Couldn't agree harder. Cassidy crushes it in this episode. Maybe the best friend on Lost short of Hurley. Now, I think you may disagree with me on this one, because I am giving my final MVP point. I'm going to give it to Juliet. Now, look, it is a sloppy scheme to the point where she does get caught. But at the end of the day, she does get brought along. So I do think she succeeds in her mission, ultimately, and she is a bit of a badass in getting her shoulder popped back into place uh, without, you know, just letting out a scream. So I don't know. I I think that Juliet does not prove herself to be the best in this episode like she has previously in season three. But she does ultimately succeed in her goal. So I have to give her some kudos there. Yeah, so I'll just zero it out. I'm going to give Juliet an LVP here because uh, I think the plan is just ridiculous. And I just laugh thinking about Juliet dragging Kate out into the jungle and then like lying down in a bed of moss. It's like, I'll take a nap until Kate wakes up. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and, this, and this is a new thing for Juliet, because Juliet never had to, like, uh, yeah. wear the others. Except, no, I believe actually last episode when Juliet and Ben had the conversation, she was wearing, like, a Peter Pan vest. Like, mm. I guess that was her other drag. Uh, but she very rarely had to, like, get down and dirty like a lot of the others did, like a Tom Friendly. So, yeah, clearly something so, she's not used to. I'll, so, well, and you know I love Juliet, and she's still the, the MVP leader of the season. Uh, and there's more occasions coming up as soon as next week to give Juliet some kudos. But, uh, right, right now, I just, it, it's a, it's a uh, uncharacteristically weak episode for the character that I, that I otherwise adore. And then my other two LVP points I've already spoiled. Uh, the Marshal mm-hmm. and Law and Order separately. How how you guys botched this one? Uh, this is just a terrible job. You guys were all hands on deck, and none of you could figure this one out. This is bad. Yeah, it doesn't help when the hands are tied behind your back and they're on deck. Uh, and yeah. I'm I'm gonna give you know what? I have two LVP points. I'm giving them both to the person who rats Kate out to said cops. I'm gonna give it to Diane Jansen here. Uh, look, I understand Diane. Yeah, I Diane. Mean- uh, exactly. Um, cue Bojack Horseman's Diane uh, speak. But I, I, I think that, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from, that she is in a complicated situation at best. But I, I just feel like the way she was personified and characterized in this episode was not warm and not complicated and not empathetic in that way. And so I sort of like calls him like I sees him in that regard. I did not like Diane Jansen in this episode, so I'm going to dock her properly. Um. All right. Well, let's let's rank this one. Um, scale of zero to four point two. Right now, I I'd have it as a three. 
Uh, and I think it'd probably be a little bit lower if not for the fact that I really love the Hurley and Sawyer stuff. I really yeah. love the Hurley and Sawyer stuff. I really, uh, I love Cassidy as a friend. I think seeing Cass in the wig makes me laugh so hard. Uh, so like there is like a, a certain amount of joy that, uh, this episode, uh, you know, gets out of me. Um, but I, this is one of the more skippable episodes of Lost. Um, so I, I think if not for the fact that the, the Sawyer and Hurley survivor thing is pretty fun. This would probably be somewhere in like like a two point eight range for me. Mm-hmm. Just putting it at a three, it's a little more clean that way. But I could be convinced to go a little bit lower. I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave it at a three and not think too hard about it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to a two point nine. That's in my below average episode of Lost category, and maybe I'll go a little bit lower as well. Thinking about it on reflection, because like I gave the same score to the Glass Ballerina, and the Glass Ballerina was one of those things that again I thought was more just like statically okay across the board. Whereas this again was definitely more of I loved the Sawyer and Hurley stuff. Not only was it like very right, fun, right. I think it was very character enriching and really informs the end game for both of those characters. But I really disliked the Kate and Juliet stuff. It just felt like it was not lost. It felt removed from the show. It felt tropey. It felt for the sake of building up this love quadrangle that I met at to begin with. And while the flashbacks were were fine they were ultimately unnecessary and like you said sort of continue to muddy the waters of the chronology that are the kate flashbacks so that sort of evens out the score to a 2.9 overall our audience gave it a 3.1 uh with with actually some surprisingly ranging scores i see it as high as a 3.8 and uh, as as low as like a, a low twos to to high twos so somebody really has a soft spot in their heart for left behind but otherwise it's going to come in fairly low. It's going to average out to a 3.01, putting it right below the Glass Ballerina. And Josh, right now, this is the third worst episode of Lost Season 3. I think it'll probably stay here. I can't imagine what would go lower based on no, what's still I think, to I think come. Even, even DOC, which would be considered maybe another mid-tier episode, I think would still be. That's a better this. episode, I think. Uh, you've got the return of King Daddy Quan. If that doesn't you always, warrant, you're just hyping that up. We got that that doesn't week. warrant a 4.2. Yeah, exactly. So I think and we talked about this last week, right? Like, I think we got through the last quote unquote doldrum of Lost season three. Like it pretty much is you know, all downhill from here in a manner of speaking as, as the scores go up. So that's going to be great. You know, I, I am not a fan of this episode. It's one of my least favorite episodes of lost just because I find it kind of needless. But that being said, there's still stuff to enjoy. And I, I can't wait now that we have Juliet back, Josh, do you survivor parlance? We sort of reached the merge here. For uh-huh, season three. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're, we're in the end game now. I feel like uh, we're in the jury phase here as we are, Looking at one of us next week, we get our, our second Juliet flashback of the season, of the series. We yeah, get to see some they, island mythology. We, we really start to get to lean into the whole Ben has a crush on Juliet motif. Uh, is it? Th- is this the one? I mean, I know that they really go hard on that in season four. I, I can't remember how much this is This is this, that. Well, this, this is the one that introduces the Juliet and Goodwin uh goodwin stuff no is it i don't it think is. so yeah i don't think so is that i i'm pretty sure that's season four i'm pretty I'm, sure I'm season the, four I'm is the one the wikipedia summary right now and uh there's there's julia that's not the stuff. other woman no the other i think the other woman has that opener where uh you know you have ben like looking longingly at julian mm. after he sends goodwin off uh interesting but, oh yeah. wow so yeah this is this is number two All right, so we got uh, some goodwin coming up next week that's fun yeah goodwin's coming back I miss Goodwin. 
It'll be well, great we're, to we're see gonna, good We're going to see him very much so. A different side of him, perhaps a more romantic side next week. I look forward to that. I look forward to that. I think that'll be... I think that'll be nice. I think... Oh, yeah. So we like we start on the Goodwin stuff here. Right. Uh, but I don't... I do they, How much did they show that in this? They they show them sort of starting a relationship together. Uh, but then it's more so focused on, like, the Ben Kindling of the crush and also the manipulation. This is the episode where he brings her into the room to see that, like, Rachel is playing with her daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I'm not remembering this as like a big Goodwin episode, but anyway, we'll we'll get into it next week. Um, I've, I've any any amount of Goodwin, I'm going to be pretty happy with. So uh, that'll be fun. Uh, get your feedback in November 18th. We'll have the podcast out at the normal time next week. Uh, you, you want to talk more Lost with us? You you can send in your feedback, of course, down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. But you could also join the Discord. Yeah, uh, which you do by signing up for the postshow recaps Patreon. At the at the at the cord cutter level, uh, it's ten bucks a month, and you get access to the Discord community. I believe it's where pronounced the cord cutter level. Cord, yeah. So check that out. patreoncom slash recaps If any of that sounds fun. Meanwhile, Mike, I know that you and Jess Lee are chatting up a storm about both the Amazing Race, which I heard had a banner week this week. I don't want to know anything more than that because uh, I hear it's very fun, and now I'm incentivized to really go and check it out. I very much encourage you to check it out. It's been such a great season, especially around this time. But yeah, I would say an ending, a surprise ending yeah, in don't the vein tell of me. Lost, I will say. <laughs> cool. That's all great. I'll leave it with. But yeah, we're, we're doing that. We're doing two podcasts that week. Jess and I are also talking Star Trek Discovery, which is also going to have its own sort of merge episode this week. Uh, and I won't say more on that. And also, speaking of, we spoke so much about Survivor this week, and it will not be the last time, because Josh, I started a new RHAP Survivor off-season podcast series yes. with Rob Cesarino. You and I do some lists on this podcast, including the one we just did of Kate's aliases. Rob and I have started a series called Outwit, Outplay, Outlist, where okay. each podcast we take a sort of like innocuous, miscellaneous topic that spans Survivor history, and we try to list all the uh, all the entries in that subject to get a definitive ranking as to what goes where. So I think people who enjoy particularly like the latter part of this podcast where we do the MVP, LVPs, and the uh, the episode rankings, and those who like Survivor, I think you'll really enjoy it. All right, so I got to say that I'm greatly rooting for the success of that podcast for a number of reasons, which should all be self-evident. I love Rob, I love Mike, I love Survivor. I want those things to all be very successful. But the primary reason that I'm rooting for it is so that the podcast is still in business and the tie-in makes a lot of sense when we finish our run-through of Lost uh, and we can then start the podcast out without play out Lost. Uh, I like and this. just do a series of uh, lost ranking podcasts. Yeah, maybe or, I should. Maybe I should I'll just uh, now make, make it like an <laughs> official thing where I can only be on podcasts that follow the naming convention. Out, wait, well, out, play, just out, blank. Give it some time. Give it some time. But maybe eventually that's what you'll 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 move into. Um, so that's going on. There's the track. There's all the stuff that's going on with Mike. Plenty of stuff happening on Post Show Recaps proper. The Everything Is Super podcast is in a full tilt Spider Man mode for the next several weeks. We're going to be talking about Spider Man movies uh kevin mahadeo and i just dropped our first podcast in that regard that's setting up the stage for all things spidey uh so check that out if you have not done so already and we're going to be watching the first sam raimi spider-man movie that podcast will drop next thursday so you got a little bit of time to to check that one out before we record that podcast also fear the walking dead world beyond is happening right now the mandalorian is happening just a million things are happening at this moment so check it all out 
on Post Show Recaps. We'll be back next week with one of us. One of us. Uh, coming your way November 20th. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood? Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello.